That's the Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith from 1981. Surprised some people in the chat room, including people who are even older than I am, do not remember this song. Uh, I heard it quite often in the early 80s, and uh, I always thought that this was referring to the double-decker buses that you would see in a place like England. But no, it's actually about the public transportation system in Pennsylvania. I'm not even kidding. Look it up. So that's the Double Dutch Bus. Uh, hadn't thought of that song for a very long time, but I heard it today, and I figured why not bring it to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, which always seems to start with some sort of tune from the 80s. So welcome. A little bit late tonight. Won't bother getting into the reason for that, but here we are. We're going. We're broadcasting. And if you're listening in the archives where the majority of people listen, then to you it's on time. It's only to the unfortunate live listeners who've been sitting around for 45 minutes waiting for me to show up. And to those people, I apologize. Before we get going tonight, let me tell you about our free roll, which usually you have a lot of time to enter, but tonight you only have until about 7.40, which is 20 minutes from now. You do have late registration now, so it's not a hard cutoff like it used to be, thanks to an upgrade in the software. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find by clicking on No Fraud Online Poker near the top of the screen. You need a separate account for the No Fraud Online Poker Room, but it is completely free to play in this free role. You don't even need play chips. You just need to register an account and get going. However, if you want to win the free money, which tonight is $76, you need to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you did not register on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum prior to June 1st, 2013, then you're going to have to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me that you've been listening to the show for three or more weeks, and tell me the truth. If you haven't been, then don't email me until three weeks have passed. But if you have been listening for three weeks or more, email me and tell me some things that you remember from the show that are not in the official show description. And convince me you've really been listening for three weeks or more, and I will give you an exception that is good for the remainder of the time that this show exists, provided that you remain in good standing on the site to win future free roll money. But you have to do it before tonight's free roll starts, which is at 7.40. And you have... Uh, let me see how long you have to re late register. 25 minutes you have until uh, after it starts. So you have till 8.05 to late register, but if you want to start on time, which I'm not known for, you have to be there by 7.40. The $76 prize pool will be divided as follows. It's actually an $81 prize pool because we have a bounty as well. First place will be $40. Second place, $20. Third place, $10. Fourth place, $6. And most importantly, there's a bounty on Poker Prince 2. If you knock him out, you get... $1 million. No, I, I shouldn't do that because one day someone's going to sue me for this. But no, it's only $5, and it is compliments of Poker Prince 2 himself, who sent me the money to send you. So if you knock out Poker Prince 2, you also get $5. So I guess you can win 45 
as a maximum if you knock out Poker Prince 2 and you finish in first place. Tonight, we also have a co-host on the show. Uh, it's a guy calling himself Daredevil. He's been around on Poker Fraud Alert for some time, been a longtime listener of this show. He volunteered to co-host tonight, so we're going to pick him up as a co-host after the first segment. And the reason after the first segment is because the first segment is an interview, and I want to do the interview by myself. And then after the interview's over, then we will bring on Daredevil for the topics that we discuss. You know, the usual, what we do on the show, just pick topics that are going on in the world of poker and gambling and whatever else and discuss them. So he will be there for the remainder of the show. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that is near Las Vegas. I actually went there this past weekend, on Saturday in fact, visited the phone that is up there. It is in good working order. It is forwarding to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the phone number for the Mount Charleston line. No matter what you call, make sure to show your caller ID by dialing star 82. If you want to text me during the show, you can do that. In fact, you can text me before the show, after the show, or during the show. It's the same phone number as the main phone number for the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I erroneously listed it as 702 in the show description last week and the week before, and I think that's what was causing us not to get as many texts as we should have. There's some angry person at 702-372-8355 who is getting our texts, including some pretty dirty ones. Uh, for example, uh, one of our listeners, I won't name him, but he's in the 941 area code. He texted the 702 number, which is not mine, which is my fault for posting it, but he texted this person, I just pulled a 40-foot pipe from my ass. <laughs> So, I see we have a call coming in here. Why not? We'll take it. Nope, never mind. They hung up. So if I don't answer, though, it means we're in the middle of something. Like, I won't be taking calls during this interview that we're going to do. So just wait till there's kind of a break in the show or try back 15 minutes later. Just don't call during the interview because I guarantee I won't answer. Here are some texts we received already in addition to the 40-foot pipe one. Um... Uh, this is from the 704 area code. This is about my talk about Coinbase on the last show. Just want to remind your listeners, Coinbase is an exchange, not a wallet. You don't own Bitcoin unless you own the private key. That's a good point. So that's a correction from the 704 area code. Let's see here. Uh, 907 area code in Alaska. This person is alerting me to the fact that Gavin Smith is very likely broke. I know you're shocked. I know you believed Gavin Smith to be flush with money. I know there's been no rumors about that for a long time, but uh, apparently he's hosting a 2-5 no-limit game in Anchorage, Alaska. That's what... Gavin Smith is doing. He's in Anchorage, Alaska hosting a 2-5 no-limit game. That's what he's up to these days. Pretty far fall from his peak. 702 area code. 
texted, shout out to Gayju Magoo, signed Lauren Kling's hairy ass, hashtag grows back fast. <laughs> Reference to something two years ago we talked about on this show. So those are the texts we've received so far. 775-372-8355 is that number if you want to text. Now, uh, I'm going to give you the agenda really quickly, then we're going to call our guest who I'm sure is pretty perplexed why we have not called her yet. I told her we'd be calling around 7, and I'm kind of embarrassed. In fact, I saw she tried to call the show while I was setting it up and didn't have time to take that call because I was trying to frantically get on the air. So hopefully she answers. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I have to update something about the free roll. I have to update. I'm not even going to play the ESPN music. I do have to update something, though. Uh, I said it was $76. It's actually $100. I forgot that we got 24 additional dollars from Steve-O, Steve Ruddock, who's a poker reporter. And uh, he did that to make an even 100 tonight. Thank you, Steve-O. And thank you to the other people who donated to the free roll, which would be C-Money, $50, Hockey Guy, $16, and Benford, $10. So uh, it's $100 for the free roll. I'm going to redefine the prize pool right now on the fly. I forgot to do that uh, in the official thread. So the new prize pool, and of course it's also $5 bounty on Poker Prince 2. That's separate. But I'll make uh, first place 50, second place 25, third place 15, and uh, I'll make fourth place 10. So 50, 25, 15, and 10, and then 5 for uh, knocking out Poker Prince 2. So thank you to Steve-O for uh, kicking up that money here. That happened a few hours ago. I just forgot. I just forgot. Someone's saying in chat, 941 area code San Francisco. No, it is not. No, it is not. Uh, At least I don't think it is. You know what? I can't say for sure. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I've never heard of that area code in San Francisco, but maybe it's new. Alrighty, so here's the agenda tonight. I'm going to give you an update again on the Poker Fraud Alert hats. I think you'll be happy with that update. Uh, the first segment tonight, after the quick hat mention, will be Lynn Michnick, who sued World Series of Poker main event final tableist Lee Childs over tournament backing makeup. This has nothing to do with the main event of the World Series that he made the final table, but after that, she was staking him, and uh, she sued him for $40,000 for tournament makeup, claiming he violated the terms of their agreement. And I've talked about her before on this show and said I didn't agree and thought that she was doing the wrong thing. And in fact, she did lose in court, and I agreed with the decision. Now, it was pretty harsh on Lynn, both when I wrote about her and when uh, I talked about her on this show, but I've come around a little bit, not to her point of view. I still disagree with her, and I'll tell her that on the show. But uh, I, I don't think that she's a malicious person. I, I just think she doesn't quite see it the way that she probably should. Uh, I, I do give her some credit for coming out in the public and discussing this and for wanting to come on the show and discuss this and, of course, open herself up to future criticism. So, you know, uh, anybody who ever wants to come in to give their side for anything we talk about on the show, even much later, I think we talked about this two and a half months ago, but uh, she's welcome to come on and she's going to, going to come on tonight. And I think it's an important thing to discuss because... 
when you get backed, the last thing you ever want is to owe the money. When you're getting backed, it's someone else taking the risk and you give them part of the profit. So when you owe that person the money that uh, you're down in the backing arrangement uh, and they're trying to sue you for that because they say you owe it to them when you thought it was just you, know, you being backed the whole time, that's pretty scary. And I think it's important everybody understands what's going on with this one and to where both backers and those being backed can take care to make sure that things like this don't happen in the future. And I'm sure that Lynn has learned from this. I'm sure Lee has learned from this. And hopefully the listeners of the show who may get involved in backing on either side will learn from this. The Seminole Hard Rock Open had various fails. Boy, was it a big mess. Uh, They had a historic overlay. You're usually happy when your poker tournament is is historic, but not in this way. Not when it's historic in that it costs your company $2.5 million above operational costs. So uh, amazingly, there was a $2.5 million overlay. And for the few of you that don't know what an overlay is, that means that all the entries to the tournament, if you combine all the money that people put in to enter, came out $2.5 million less than the guaranteed prize pool of $10 million. So the Seminole Hard Rock had to eat $2.5 million plus whatever it cost them to run the thing. And if this wasn't bad enough, they had a high roller tournament, which drew a whopping nine people, and they couldn't even get that right. They couldn't even get the payout structure right for nine people, and that cost them even more money and a lot of controversy. And laughably, the boss, the big boss there at the Seminole Hard Rock Open was not there through this entire thing. He was gone. So what a mess over there. We'll talk about that. Annie Duke appeared on a podcast called The Moth. The Moth, I've never heard of it before. I I think they play various inspirational speeches, and I think they have some book. I know very little about The Moth, but I I think you can reach them at themoth.org. Anyway, it's not a long podcast like this. The Moth podcast was 18 minutes. And, uh... Hmm. This is interesting. Sorry for the interruption here, but a guy named Slow Roll, who seems to be new to the site, says, I'd like to donate $50 to the free roll. Can you give 40 to first and 10 to the first one out? Wow. Okay. So the free roll is going to start in eight minutes. And, uh, okay, provided the Slow Roll guy pays me, I don't know who he is, so you know I can't guarantee this money until I receive it, but provided I receive it, the first person out will get $10. I mean, last place will get $10. And now first place instead of... $50 will be $90. That's a pretty good first prize for a weekly free roll for a radio show like this. So that's thanks now to Slow Roll. Slow, slow Roll, uh, you can send me the PayPal. And anybody who ever wants to PayPal me anything, you can do it to dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Dandruff, all one word, all lowercase, at pokerfraudalert.com. And provided Slow Roll sends the 50 we will have an additional 40 on first and an additional $10 in last. But... If he doesn't, I'm not going to cover it. I'm not the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. I don't cover overlays here. <laughs> so, big free roll tonight, though. If this guy comes through with his money, it'll be $155 given away tonight for this free roll. So we're definitely making up for the fact that there was no free roll last week. Anyway, Annie Duke appeared on this Moth podcast. It was pretty much her speaking for like 
15 of the 18 minutes and the rest of it is just the moth promoting itself. They admitted on this podcast at the beginning that they know very, very little about gambling. So they, they just picked Annie Duke. She was speaking in front of some crowd, as you'll hear when I play it. And they were playing it and they, they must admire her and think that she's a good representative representative of poker. And she speaks well. And she seems personable and nice when she speaks. You will not believe the Annie you hear versus the Annie you know of, the shady Annie, former owner of UB, sister of Howard Lederer, generally unpleasant person at the poker table, someone who was very mean and nasty to Daniel Negreanu before he became famous when he was a nobody. Uh, Just a very unpleasant person. Big hypocrite, Annie Duke. And you will hear the contrast between what you know of her. And don't, of course, don't forget about the epic fail poker league where a bunch of people got stiffed and Annie didn't cover it and she drew a huge salary for it. I mean, I could make a laundry list of issues that we all have with Annie Duke, but you'll hear her on this podcast. She sounds like the sweetest woman, the sweetest, most personable, nicest, coolest woman. So... I'll play what she had to say, and I'll comment on it in between. Poker stars, they had a lot of uh, marketing ideas prior to Black Friday, and they still try to think outside the box when it comes to marketing. But would you believe that poker stars had an idea and almost made an attempt to purchase the New Orleans Saints? Yes, I'm talking about those New Orleans Saints. In 2006, PokerStars was considering offering $600 million cash to purchase the Saints, but ended up not doing so. We'll talk about that whole thing and why it's just coming out now, eight years later. It's a new story, even though it's about something that happened eight years ago. Speaking of PokerStars, they might enter the legalized New Jersey market as soon as October of this year. We'll talk about that. Also, again, speaking of poker stars, Mexico might be legalizing and regulating online poker. You may say, good. If you live in Mexico, you listen to this show, you may say, great. That makes it even better and easier to play on sites like poker stars, which is why you probably moved down there. But wait, no, it's a bad thing for you probably because they might kick out the sites like poker stars and Full Tilt and any other site that's operating illegally down there, or not illegally, but operating without a license, just kind of operating as they were in the U.S. prior to Black Friday, and licensing their own Mexican poker sites. So Stars may get shut out, and you may have to move if you want to continue playing on Stars or any site like Stars in Mexico. But don't pack your bags yet. It won't happen for six months minimum. We'll talk about that whole story. Well, you've heard about the problems in New Jersey. We've talked about it on this show that New Jersey, Atlantic City specifically, they've been closing casinos at a breakneck pace because they just cannot generate enough business to stay open for as many casinos as they have. This is actually scaring Massachusetts. And Massachusetts, who three years ago approved handing out three casino licenses in the state, are now trying to repeal that approval, and it's on the November ballot in 2014 to 
take away any licenses that have been granted and pretty much stop gambling Massachusetts. So we'll see about that. Talk a little about what's going on there. Finally, editorial for tonight. If you earn any perks, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter if it's a casino or elsewhere, if you've earned a perk with a business, maybe it's being able to go to the front of the line, maybe it's uh, things that you get for free, maybe it's special treatment of some sort, should you feel guilty about redeeming these perks because everyone doesn't get them? Is it unfair to other customers? This editorial will tell you what I'm sure you know is my position on this matter. Don't feel bad about it. You earn them. They're yours. You should redeem all the perks that you are entitled to with any business that you patronize. And I'll talk about that a little bit, and I'll tell you at the time why I'm making that tonight's editorial. So that's our agenda tonight. Uh, I'm going to make this call pretty quickly to Lynn Michnick, and I already have some questions prepared for her. And when we're done with that interview, we will put on our co-host for tonight, Daredevil. And again, the only reason he's not here yet is my choice that uh, I arranged the interview as an interview between me and Lynn, and I didn't tell her anything about third parties, so I don't want to surprise her with a co-host and with a second voice interviewing her. It can kind of be confusing, too, when you're being interviewed and two people are trying to ask you things at once, so... I figured I'd just do this part myself, and then we'll put Daredevil on for the rest of the show. Getting her phone number here. And don't try to call me during this interview. I will not pick up, I guarantee you. Hopefully she will pick up, though. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? Oh, hi. Okay, there you are. Lynn Mitchnick, hello. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I reached the right number, right? Yeah. How are you? Uh, I Very good, thank you, and I'm um, glad you picked up. I apologize for calling you a bit late tonight. The, uh, we got a very late start to the show. Um, I was doing pretty well for a few weeks, starting right on time, but I've been slipping the last two weeks, but... No worries. I was enjoying listening to the rest of the show. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, so you emailed me uh, a few weeks ago that you wanted me to read an article that was on Card Player that was an interview with you regarding your situation and your lawsuit with uh, against Lee Childs. And I read it, and when I, I read the card player interview, I, I, you know, I just I had more things that I, I wanted to know. I had more questions. I'm never very happy with card player for various reasons, but I won't bother you with them right now. But I invited you to come on here and do your own interview with us so everybody can understand where you're coming from. I know that you took a lot of flack from a lot of people on the Internet, 2 plus 2, from me, from you know other people, uh, for suing a guy you were backing. And I, I will give you credit for, instead of running and hiding from the criticism, that you faced it head on and were trying to get your point across to people and trying to make people understand you're not a terrible person. You're just, you just felt you were in the right here and he was in the wrong and trying to 
explain your reasoning. So, uh, you know, I've gotten to understand you a little bit more since I first read about this story and first read the 2 plus 2 thread. And uh, But I still have questions about the whole thing. Um, basically, for the people right. who... Right, I understand. And, in fact, your... Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold, but it won't hopefully won't be a problem. Um, what you said just a few minutes ago that I had instituted a lawsuit for makeup, that's the main reason that I've come forward because that's not true. I never sued for makeup. Okay. And the way it's been presented in the media is always that I've been that I sued for makeup except in the articles that were based on direct information from me. So that was a good segue <laughs> Okay. To, uh, okay well, that's, I have come forward. Yes, and I'll give you a chance to explain all of that, and uh, you know, hopefully everybody can understand better why you sued and what your thought process and reasoning was. And even if at the end of the whole thing some people don't agree with you, uh, even if I don't agree with you, at least everybody will fully understand you know, why you did it. Uh, so, um, why don't you start off before I even get to my other questions I had prepared? Why don't you start off telling us why you sued Lee Child? Just just like a general overview, and then we'll get into details shortly. Okay, <clears throat> a very general overview is that we had a signed contract, and each of us had particular responsibilities under that contract. And we had six specific responsibilities, all of which he, I backed him 100% for four years. And he violated all six of those responsibilities ongoing for one of them starting only about three or four months into the agreement and all of them many, many, many times. This was not, you know, me getting irritated at a single violation or four or five violations. There were many, many violations each year. And it got to the point where I just decided that I could not count on the contract being honored. And according to the terms of the contract, if I terminated it due to violations on his part, then he owed me liquidated damages. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, but if I can just say one thing now, that was my biggest mistake, is that that clause in the contract was not labeled liquidated damages. I see. And what do, you, what, do you mean by, what do you mean by liquidated damages? Liquidated damages is, and again, I'm not an attorney, so... Um, I think I know exactly what it is at this point, but I, you know, there's still room for error. Liquidated damages is a legal term that applies when parties to a contract agree beforehand, they agree as part of the contract, that if one party has to terminate the contract due to breaches on the other person's part, then the person who breached the contract is liable for some damages. And those damages really has to do with the other party not being able to realize what they could reasonably have expected to realize. So in this case, it was reasonable for me to expect a long-term profit with a skilled player. Okay, now every backer knows that there's no guarantee 
on and on and on. Um, but it's reasonable to expect that if you're willing to stick out the normal variance, that over the long term you would have a reasonable profit. So by violating the contract to the extent that it was, that it was violated, it essentially removed that possibility for me. So, so you're basically I, I saying you're no longer be handing over hundreds of thousands of dollars in field confidence about it. So, so you're what you're saying here is that um, you having to end the contract early prevented him from being able to get out of makeup. So that uh, had you been able to stick with him, with him not violating it, then you probably would have made money. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, and in the contract, the amount of damages was defined as the amount of makeup. Now, that was actually um, a very minimal amount. Liquidated damages could have easily been defined as the amount of makeup plus X number of dollars that I would reasonably have expected to earn in the future. Okay, so let me ask you very simply here, For I'm sure the first thing everyone's wondering is in your time staking him in these four years you staked him, did you make money or did you lose money? I would like to give you just a yes or no, but I, I legally cannot. What I can tell you um, legally, just so people understand, I have to be careful about what I say publicly because I cannot give anybody any reason to think about defamation. Um, so the only thing I can say about that is that the figure that Lee's attorney has made public is that I made $17,000, one seven, $17,000. Um, I don't know how that was calculated. I have not been able to replicate it. But what I do know is that at the end of the day, from live tournament play, I made some small profit. My figure is smaller. I can't say what that figure is, but it's really irrelevant. Okay, you know, so you I, made some I, small profit on his live play that's less than 17000 And uh, what about his online play? Were you backing him for online too? I backed him uh, for online beginning in 2009, not in 2008, and that was not part of the lawsuit. Um I've never had complete records from him about online play, so I can't say with certainty what happened online. Um, well, well, as far as what he paid you, though, like it didn't. But but the online, you gave him X amount of dollars, and he paid you back Y amount of dollars. So if he gave, you know, if Y was more than X, then you made money. If it's less, then you lost money. So uh, you, you have to know at least there whether you made money or lost money, regardless of what records he gave you. I know that for online, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds simple, but unfortunately it's not. I know that for online, um, there are some funds that are not accounted for in the records that I do have. Yeah, I apologize, but that's really all I, I can say about that. All right. Um, if those records, if I had records, of what he had actually played. Um, that well, well, you, you know say. what I'm saying here, though. I, I'm not it, saying. It, it uh, also, it probably sounds like I'm being vague, but it's really important to understand that we had a great deal of autonomy. Okay, we had a joint bank account that only required his signature to get money out of it. 
he had complete control over what he played. I did not approve the tournaments that he played. Um, the only stipulation was that 90% of his tournaments had to have an entry fee of $5,000 or less. But okay. there was no approval process. No, no, but what I'm saying here regarding figuring out whether uh, you're up or down – one is about, you know, did he report every single tournament that he played to you? And that, that can be a difficulty, you know, in figuring out. But as far as your own accounting with your own money, you know, you gave him this much, he withdrew this much, and then he put this much back in. So if you ended up with more than what you started, you made money. And if you ended up with less, then you lost money. I can't see how that part is complicated. In my own accounting, I made a little bit of money from online play, but that assumes that all the money was actually where it was supposed to be. Okay. I mean, for example, for example, Poker Stars just returned money to people, you know, within the last few months. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing that money. You know, that that's never going to be forwarded to me. Um, do I count that or do I not count that? Well, I mean, if it was if it was your money, you should, if it was your money, then and a, you know, a percentage is supposed to go to you. Yes, you should see that. He should definitely pay you that if that's true. If you know, you're talking about okay, the full well, total well, refunds, right? Well, percent of it should have gone to me. I'm sure nothing is going to. Well, um, yeah. this wasn't even <laughs> part of anything we've talked about before. But uh, you know, you're, I'm sure you're talking about the full tilt refunds. The Poker Stars refunds happened right away in 2011. The full tilt I'm refunds. I'm sorry, you're right. I have yeah, backwards. The full and tilt the refunds. One I did get. Which were recently. Uh, you know, you should find out what he got, and uh, and then if some of that's supposed to go to you, you should definitely get that if that was part of the agreement. There's no question. But uh, that's a separate. Yeah, matter. well, I, I know how much he got. Um, his, his attorney actually provided a statement to my attorney, but I, I'm sure I'm not going to see any of it. Why are they? You know? you, can you tell us why they are saying you're not entitled to it? Um, I don't know. I can't second guess huh. his well, thinking. Did they my, give you any explanation, or they just said you're not? We're not giving it to you too bad. Like, what? What did they say as far exactly. as why? Why you can't have that yeah. money? Nothing was ever said to me about why huh. I can't have it. That's kind of weird. Um, you know, similarly included in the amount that I sued Lee for was a $5,000 personal loan. I'm never going to see a penny of that either. Um, even even though the jury's opinion was that he still owed me that $5,000, um, the lawsuit did not break it out as a separate piece. So the... Jury did not have the authority to award it. And does Lee acknowledge? I, I'm sure I'm not going to see that. Does he acknowledge that it was a five thousand dollar personal loan that was separate from the staking arrangement? Yes. Hmm. I'm surprised he doesn't pay that either. That's. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of that piece either. That I heard something about this. I, I didn't know that he's acknowledging that he owes five thousand dollars and has not paid you yet. I had thought that he had paid you. But okay. Uh, no, he, he he acknowledged that I gave him a five thousand dollars personal loan. Um, I would not say that he acknowledged that he owes it to me. I don't think he thinks he owes me anything hmm. because he had to spend attorney's fees. So tough luck for me. Oh, I see. That's my best guess at the thinking. That's what I've like heard through third parties. Nothing has been said to me directly. 
Okay, so let's get to the next question here. Uh, your contract with Lee, and this, this is for one I've been made to understand. You can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I, I believe the contract with Lee was uh, it originally demanded that he provide you with a tournament schedule six months in advance of whatever he plays. So if this is true, why would you have demanded such a thing? Why is it reasonable to know and approve which tournaments he's going to play uh, so far in advance? Why not like a week or two? Yeah, good question. That's received a lot of attention in, in various media. Um, the best answer I can give you is silly, but it's the true answer. I was new to the poker world. I had no idea that six months was unreasonable. I didn't simply write this contract. There were several rounds of revisions back and forth. We submitted revisions, which were then incorporated. He was the poker pro, not me. So he didn't have an issue with it. So it stayed in the contract. Um, there are reasons why I needed and in my current contract still have considerable advance notice. And there are reasons that aren't applicable to many backers, but they're applicable to me. Uh, first of all, oh, I, I should add that because both Lee and I realized in the first year of the backing that six months was totally unrealistic and impossible, um, we did revise it to three months in emails, but we never, there was never a signed contract with that revision in it. I see. There okay. was, in fact, a revised contract that reflected three months, but we never signed but it. But why, so. why even three months? Why does it have to be that much? Why not just – I understand wanting to know in advance what he's going to play, but why, why not like a week or two? Why so much? Like even if you originally just made that six month with, without really realizing that it wasn't uh, standard, but right. once, you, once you got more familiar, why not change it to a week or two? I, I just don't get that. Okay. Well, two weeks, theoretically two weeks – could have worked. The week could not have worked because our contract also says that I have to get him funds 10 days in advance. So obviously I need more than 10 days advance notice. So theoretically two weeks could work, but there were a few reasons that are important to me why that is far from optimal. First of all, my, just so people understand, I ran successful businesses for 30 years. You know, while I'm a poker player now, primarily, I, I was a business person, and I was used to running my businesses with projections several months out. So that was just kind of a natural thing, a natural expectation to me. But secondly, my backing funds are not this separate thing. It, it's part of a much larger investment portfolio. So in order to manage my portfolio optimally, I need to keep backing funds liquid. And in the absence of information a few months in advance, I have to keep the maximum amount liquid. Yeah, no, I understand that. I just, think, I, I just don't think it's a... Uh, means I'm not making money on my money. No, I understand. But if you're going to get into poker staking, you can't really think that way. It's just, uh, um, you know, poker players, they... They pretty much fly by the seat of their pants with a lot of things. And while I understand that you don't want your horses just deciding on a whim, oh, today I'm going to play, oh, today I'm not going to play, uh, you can't ask a few months in advance. It's just, it's just never how it works. And that's, uh, that's, you know, that's, of course, my opinion on it. But I, even if you have reasons why it 
make sense to you. I'm just saying that for poker backing, it just doesn't uh, doesn't really fit with it very well. But let me go to the the next uh, question here. Uh, your contract. Can I just with... say one thing about that, Todd? Yeah. Because I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you that it's atypical and that it doesn't work for a lot of people. It's worked fine for other people that I've backed. Um, and, you know, it will work fine for anybody I back in the future. But I would not expect it to work for most poker players. Well, I think what you might be missing here is that a lot of people who are getting backed are desperate. They they have no other way to enter poker tournaments. Maybe in some cases they, they've run out of backers. And, you know, you could tell them that they have to come to your front door and uh, stand on their head and, and you know, cackle like a chicken and they would probably do it <laughs> I mean, uh, right that's that's the truth you know so so you sometimes have to separate what they will do and be willing to do and what is uh really going to work and and not create problems or, or or logistical nightmares but anyway let me go to the third question here uh your contract with lee demands that he always has to play to the best of his ability now what was the point of that language especially you would think that most people in tournaments are always playing to win. So what does play to the best of the ability mean and why put that in the contract? Yeah, I, I agree that presumably everybody who's playing is playing to win. But even though I did not have very much tournament experience when this contract was drafted, I had been around enough and seen enough to know that lots of players get high during breaks, drink alcohol at the table, whatever. And... I definitely have no problem with people doing whatever they feel like doing as long as they're not playing with my money. So the language of that was intentionally very, very broad because, again, Lee had a great deal of autonomy. There was no approval process, and he had the option based solely on his judgment to not play any tournament up until the very last minute. So the language was intentionally designed so that, you know, if he wakes up and just feels like he has too much on his mind to focus, then he can, can choose not to play. I see. So you're, you know, you're basically I, I telling him he has really to... Need a reason. You're basically saying that he's agreeing to play provided he just uh, feels normal, that he's not feeling physically ill or, or emotionally distraught at the moment and can't keep his mind in the tournament. So that's basically what you're putting there, right? Yeah, and that he's had sleep and he's not drinking at the table and I see. not okay. getting high during breaks or doing anything else that could compromise his judgment. So uh, that was brings me to the next question. It's kind of like a part of this uh, question here. Uh, what If he just showed up and didn't have his A game and you read in a tournament report that, uh, you know, let's say he had a big stack and uh, he raised and someone re-raised and they kept re-raising each other and the other person turns, turns over aces and he turns over pocket twos and, and then, uh, you know, he gets stacked and he's gone. You know, he's... He shot off a whole lot of chips, and you go, "What the hell was he doing?" But you don't see right. any, you don't see any evidence that anything caused this. It's just he didn't play well. He just did something stupid. He didn't bring his A game that right. day. He made a dumb mistake. I'm not saying that happened. I'm saying if that happened, would you have considered that a violation of the contract? Absolutely not. No, I mean every every player has off days, and the situation you just described happened multiple times. 
In, okay. in, in my experience, it happens multiple times with every player over the course of several years. Yeah. Um, not toxic juices, I don't recall, anything like that. But, you know, I mean, that to me is just part of being a player. Yeah. Okay, now I just want to make sure. Not everybody is going to always have their A game. Okay, I just want to make sure. And then you mentioned that uh, the language is partially an attempt to force him to play with ample sleep and in a sober state of mind. Uh, I'm just wondering... Instead of saying play the best of your ability, why not have a list of, of exact behavior that uh, uh, you're not allowed to drink the night before after this time or you're, you're this many hours before the tournament or you're not allowed to do drugs before you know this time or at all? Really, like have yeah. very spe- specific – why didn't you mention something specific in there rather than just play to the best of your ability, which is, is very hard to enforce legally? Right. In, in retrospect? What you suggest would probably have been a good idea um, at the time. And, and by the way, my current contracts do have some specifics in them. Um, long before this lawsuit, my the contract that I used was revised multiple times based on things that I had learned um, and that other people I was backing suggested. But So, yeah, that would have been oh, probably smart. Um But even with that, kind of the last item in the list would need to be any other factor that could negatively affect your play. So there would still be this kind of, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but this kind of ill-defined factor in that list. Okay, Uh, you... you had gripes with his failure to provide you the necessary tax information, uh prior to January 31st, which is something he required in the contract and he apparently didn't keep to. Uh, did you suffer any kind of tax penalties by this failure or was it just uh, inconvenient to you? Um, no tax penalties, but two points of clarification. First of all, that being a requirement of the contract is really just a restatement of um, federal requirements. When somebody issues a 1099, January 31st is the deadline for issuing them. Um, so I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I just, it was, we put it on paper thinking, you know, that would never be an issue. Um, I did not suffer tax penalties simply because I refused to file my taxes late waiting for information from him. But that's not the same as saying that there were not financial consequences for me. There were years in which my refund was thirty, forty thousand dollars or more, and by delaying that filing for a couple of months, it meant I got forty thousand dollars that the government is collecting interest on rather than me. Um, it also, while it was a very minor fee, it also meant additional, you know, fees for my accountant to file papers and blah blah blah. Um, there's lots of things that went on in this four years that were not part of the lawsuit that have to do with, in and of themselves, relatively minor amounts of money that I did not make that I should have. This is just one instance. Okay, so... But they weren't part of the lawsuit. So you said that uh, Lee slow paid some of his winnings to you. Uh, how long was the worst delay he ever had, and how often did that happen? Um, it happened quite a lot, and the longest period of time 
I honestly don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure that it was at least a month because the way that we worked things is it was quite common for us to agree, and I'm not counting this in, in him slow paying me. Um, there were times when we agreed that he would just hang on to funds because he was playing tournaments in a couple of weeks, and he considered it to be, you know, inconvenient to deposit money and then go have to get it out of the bank. Yeah. So fine. When it was just a, few, a couple of weeks, we often agreed that he would just hang on to it. Um, there are other times when we did not agree that he would just hang on to it, and he did stay on to it. And I know that there were some instances of that being four or five weeks. So I didn't hang up on her. Her phone just cut out, became static in the middle of her talking. So we'll try back in a little bit. Uh, for those of you that don't like this segment for whatever reason, uh, it's not going to go on for much longer, and we'll get to the other things. And, hey, that's the way it is on the show. You know, we have a lot of variety. Sometimes you'll like the segment, sometimes you won't. Some people will like things, some things will like others. But I th- I thought it was interesting because this is a matter of someone suing a person they backed. And uh, basically, in this case, as you heard, she's suing the person because uh, she felt that, one, her money could have been doing other things and making money for her in other ways, and, two, that – her having to terminate the contract with him because he couldn't keep to it prevented him from making more money from her. So I'm not saying I agree with this, and so far I still don't, but uh, let me try her back. If she doesn't answer, then I'll have to give my conclusion and we'll end it. This I did not expect the cutoff in the middle, but... uh, Yeah, hi. Yeah, we lost you somehow. It turned into just like static. So anyway. Yeah, sorry. It's the, it's the Las Vegas thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, so but as far as waiting for him to pay you, uh, is it the same thing? You know, did it cost you any money waiting for him aside from not being able to use that money from other things? Is it kind of the same answer as the previous one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When, did... when we were disconnected, you mentioned that, you know, I had sued him for two reasons. I only sued him for one reason, and that was breaches of the contract and therefore liquidated damages. Okay. These minor amounts of money that that I might have theoretically made had nothing to do with. Okay, the so you're not. Okay, that's fine. I understand. So it's it's really only the liquidated damages. Okay. So uh, did he eventually send you his share of everything he won on your stake aside from that uh, $5,000 loan and the the full tilt refund? For online play, yes, as far as I know. What about and, for live? You know, that, that assumes that he accurately reported to me what he played and won. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe that he did not accurately report that. Okay, online. what about live, though? I mean, with live. What was that? What about live? I have no reason to believe that he did not accurately report that for live play. Okay. So so then it seems like everything from the stake you eventually got except for uh, this full tilt money and also the uh, the loan you gave him. Is that accurate? 
Yes, to that's okay. my knowledge. Okay. Uh, there's some confusion whether Lee's online tournament on, was on the stake and the live tournaments were, co- were commingled. Uh, and what do the contracts say about this? Does the contract say anything about online? Because Lee Child's lawyer was saying that the judge of this case found that the funds were commingled, and you're saying that they were not. Uh, is there anything in the contract about this, about whether they're commingled, commingled or not, and why would the judge say that? Yeah. Um, the contract explicitly states that it does not include online. I mean, it, it's at the very beginning of the contract under the scope. And it says, it also says in that same place that online is open to discussion later. A year later in 2009, when I started backing Lee, we jointly drew up a contract for online. Um, That contract, Lee never signed that contract. Um, and, And when I say that Lee never signed it, it's not that he had objections to it. It's just that he didn't get around to signing it. I mean, he self-drafted, he okayed it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so online play was never part of the contract that was part of the lawsuit. The reason that I believe, the reason that Lee's attorney checked bringing up online was because there were lots of things that happened pre-trial. And one of the things that Lee's attorney attempted to do was get the case dismissed. And one of the arguments for doing that was that the funds were commingled and online was illegal and therefore the entire contract was illegal. The pretrial judgments said, no, the contract is legal and it is governed by the laws of New Jersey State. And if the funds were commingled, they can be easily separated out. Now, you have to remember that the $40,000 of makeup was 15 months after Black Friday. So there was no online play during that 15 months, which made it extremely easy (laughs) because there simply wasn't any. Um, Now, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. There were two online tournaments played during that 15 months, which on all paperwork that I submitted were separate line items. Yeah, no, we don't have to get into the, we don't have to get into all that detail. The uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep this kind of more more broad because you know this isn't the courtroom. We're just trying to you know understand the general the generalities here of the whole thing. Um, most people believe that uh, Lee Childs did violate the contract and violated it enough for you to legally and ethically end the staking arrangement with him. So if like if he had tried to sue you and say, hey, you agreed to keep backing me. Uh, you could point to, look, you broke this, you broke that, you broke, broke this, and broke that, and it says in the contract that we can end it if you do that. Um, I would have been on your side in that case, and so would have most of the people, because you know, even if you want to say that some of these items were petty or uh, overly controlling, uh, he agreed to them, and therefore if you didn't want to keep backing him, then that was your right by the contract, and I agree, I agree to that, uh, and most people agree with that. But what most people fail to understand is why you're entitled to any makeup. And what I'm still a little confused about, and I think the audience is confused about, and uh, is how is he even in makeup? He's, he's up with you. You, know, he, you said he made money for you a little bit live, a little bit online. So how is there 40K makeup? And, uh, and, and second, 
why are you entitled to that makeup? Uh, you know, given that uh, I mean, okay, I, 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 you already answered that at I the think, beginning, kind of, but uh, to explain first why there is makeup at, at all. There's makeup because when there's a profit split, everything reverts to zero. So there was a profit split. I believe our last profit split was toward the end of 2011. Um, no, maybe towards the end of 2010. Oh, I see. So, so you keep resetting. So some people, yeah, some people have have it in a different way where where the makeup only comes if the person being backed is down, but not if they're just temporarily down, but overall up. So, but okay. Yeah, no, whenever we had a profit split, it meant that makeup reverted to zero. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, I, I, if that's the way it was, that's fine. Uh, I just trying to understand that. But then uh, the bigger question though is why are you entitled to the makeup back? Now I'll tell you personally how I feel. I'm of the belief that nobody should ever be forced to pay back makeup uh, unless they committed some kind of fraud, like they dumped chips to their friend or whatever, and yeah, I know you don't suspect he did that, and um, you know, it's highly unlikely that he did, or, or if they misrepresented their play style, such as uh, claiming that they were playing an, a normal style, but in reality were in so much makeup that they were just playing super recklessly trying to either win first play or, or bust. And if you found out the person was doing that to get themselves out of makeup, I can understand suing the person and saying, Hey, you owe me the money back. I was staking you. I wasn't staking you to play this way. Uh, so uh, it doesn't seem that he did any of these types of things. Uh, it doesn't seem like any of his violations influenced his results, which is the biggest thing to me. It doesn't seem like, except perhaps you know how you say he was drinking the night before one of the tournaments with his dad at a blackjack table. But aside from that, um, and and I think the tournament was still you know a number of hours away, ten hours away at that point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, or something out of final table is also in the testimony. Yeah, but but what I'm saying here is that uh, I I don't see much or at all how Lee's violations influence his results. So I I totally agree with your right to end the stake whenever you felt like it based on these violations. But I don't agree with that he should be forced to pay back makeup. I, I just don't think it sets a good precedent in poker that anyone who's being backed is going to owe what their losses back, you know, even if they didn't engage in any behavior that uh, caused their horse to, you know, their, their, sorry, their backer to lose money or to impact their results. That's what really bothers me here about this whole thing. That's why I've been critical. And I don't think you're a bad person. I don't think you're uh, trying to do this to be vindictive or, or anything like that. I, I just think that maybe you you don't see the backing the same way that a lot of people in poker, myself included, do. Where the way I see backing is you give someone money to play for you, and if they win, then you both make a profit. If they lose, you both lose. And the only way they should ever owe anything back to you is if there's some kind of fraud or that they misrepresented misrepresented themselves in some way like uh, like what I described. But I just I, – I think right. it would have to be really extreme to be able to expect money back from the person. Even if you got them to agree to it in a contract, I just don't think that's the right way to do things. I don't think that's – that goes along with the way poker staking should be. Right. And, and you know, I think that – probably the majority of people would agree with you. If 
I mean, it would be great if you would, would post this in the chat, the link to my full story, because there's no way that I can give a complete answer in this format. But it goes to the very crux of it. I've stated publicly before that I think it would be absurd for me or any other bathroom to think that a player could ever owe them makeup. I don't think he owed me makeup. I think he owed me liquidated damages. And he signed a contract that said that he agreed that under certain circumstances he would owe me such funds. It's not makeup. If yeah. I just choose to walk away from a deal... Well, I understand I what mean, you're saying. I have walked away from other backing deals. I understand what you're saying here. I understand you're saying that if you're backing someone where you think is going to be the long term, and then they're on a losing streak, and then they start behaving in a way that you have to drop the backing, which they agreed not to behave that way, and you're like, crap, of all times to have to drop them happens to be when they're on a losing streak. So now I can't even keep them until they make the money back. And I'm frustrated, and now I want that money back. And I can understand your frustration with that, but at the same time, first of all, you could have kept up with him. None of these things prevented you from continuing to back him. It's, it was a pain, but you could have if it was that important to make the money back. Uh, but second... Yeah, and also he was on an upswing when I ended the contract. Well, okay, I know, but I'm, I know, but I was just saying here that if the person's in makeup then uh, if he chooses to end it with you, if he says, I'm going to be in a long-term backing deal with you and I promise to play for you for the next 10 years and he terminates it after four, then I, I again, I agree you could sue him for what you call the liquidated damages saying you probably would have ended up winning if you stayed with me and you voluntarily got up and left when you agreed to stay with me. And then I would back you there too. But here you said to him, get out, I don't want to back you anymore, which is your right to do. But once you do that, then you do have to give up whatever future promises you would have made from him. Uh, so that, that's my opinion of the matter. And I think that's where the big disconnect is between you and the rest of the poker community. I think that's why a lot of people got mad was because nobody was really detecting that anything he did cost you money. People probably agreed that he didn't keep to what he agreed to with – you know, various things that inconvenienced you and were a pain in the ass and were stressful for you, but not that cost you money directly and that uh, then you terminated and said, well, you know, had you stayed with me, you would have made the money back because you were a good player, so therefore you owe me the money you would have made back. And that, that's what people don't really like. So, you know, I, I thank you for coming yeah, on. And the I, I, I get that. For, for what it's worth, I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, Red was on 2 plus 2, um, and the thread, you know, after I posted my side of the story is very different than the thread before I posted it. But one of the comments that was made in my thread was by Eric Haber, who had prepared a report for Lee's attorney um, as part of what was submitted to try and get the case dismissed. And what Eric wrote was that he could have, in his words, vigorously argued either side of this case, which is why he guesses that it went to court because we both had really valid points. It's a complicated case. If somebody really wants to understand it, they would really need to read original documents, which nobody's going to do because who's going to invest a couple days in their life to do that. But next best thing is read my full account and read Lee's attorney's full account. They're quite different, but... 
you know, any intelligent person can sift through them and come up with their own opinion. Okay. Yeah, so I, I agree with what you're saying. What I did was not typical, nor is it typical for a player to have the degree of autonomy that we did, nor is it typical to have a joint bank account that only requires his signature. Um, there were lots of atypical things. Yeah, many of which benefited him. I'm just saying. I, I understand that. I'm just saying in the future, uh, you know, for your own sanity and for the sanity of the people playing, uh, I, I think maybe I'm sure now you understand better what the poker community tends to expect in backing situations, and you know what the backers expect, what the players expect, and I think the closest, the closer you get to that, the less stress there will be for everyone. You can operate whatever you want. You can, or however you want. You can, you know, it's your money. You're the one giving out. You can make the rules. And I'm just saying that I think a little more informality here would go a long way and, in fact, maybe even attract more players. Because, to be honest, if I was playing under you, if you were backing me, and, by the way, I never drink or do drugs, never. So you would never have that issue with me, and I'm not asking you to back me, by the way. But uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying that. There's um, a long list. Yeah, no, I'm just saying if I were to be someone you were backing, I would be constantly nervous that if I did something or a series of things to fall out of your good graces, that maybe you would sue me for any makeup that I owe you at the moment, that not that I owe you, but makeup that I'm in at the moment, because you've determined in some way you think I violated the contract in some way. And like I, I would be worried about this. And I know you're saying he didn't just do one or two things, that he was doing a lot of small violations over a long period of time, and you can't just accidentally do those things. I totally get that. I'm just saying it's just not a good situation for people to be playing thinking that this might happen unless it was over something really major. Like, like if you sued him over stealing the money or you steal, sued him over chip dumping – People can relate to that, and people can say, okay, you're backing me, but I know I'm not going to chip dump. I know I'm not going to steal from her, so I know she's not going to sue me. But this kind of seemed like suing someone over a lot of minor things, and that kind of scares people, and that's what put a lot of people off. So I know you, you have your own way of seeing it. I know you seem to believe that uh, that Sheets, Eric Haber, you know, that he was uh, – he would he would have gone either way on this one, but uh, that's my opinion. But anyway, uh, we, we have a number of other segments tonight, and we've already taken uh, quite some time on this one. So uh, thank you for appearing in the show, and I, I think you've gotten everything out that uh, you wanted the public to hear. And you know, we've got a an audience of a thousand or so people. Uh, most of them will hear it in the archives. It's a uh, it's actually, mm-hmm. I, it's actually the archives, but I say archives based on an old joke from the show a long time ago. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, they will hear this in the archives, and uh, you know, maybe some people will agree with you, maybe some people won't, but at least you've gotten your story out. And I understand a little more myself now where you're coming from as well. So, thank you for appearing on the show. Okay. Well, thank you for having me, Todd. And in closing, you know, the information in more detail is out there if people are interested. And um, I agree with you more than, than you may realize. Okay. You know, I never strived to do something typical. I've made changes in the last six years, and I've had no issues with anybody else that I've had. Well, that's so good. I, ho- I hope it's it, working pretty well. Hope it ends up well, and uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Lynn Michnick. 
giving her side of the story with the Lee Child lawsuit. And for those of you that were waiting for the segment to end, good news. We're moving on to other things. But I actually found it interesting. And I know a few others did as well. And if you didn't, then that's just the way it goes. But I, you know, I try on this show to listen to the audience very much. I really try to listen and give you guys what you want to hear and not give you guys what you don't want to hear. But sometimes it's tough because some people in the audience want a certain thing and some people don't want a certain thing and can't please everybody. Well, I'm going to put on our co-host now, who's known as Daredevil. It's offering me to video call him, but I don't think I want to see him. I think I just want to hear him. So let's see if he picks up, see if we have our usual Skype problems. I've never talked to this guy before. Never had him on the show before. Uh, Daredevil, hello. Hey, Druff, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Now, are you on a headset or are you on some kind of speaker? Uh, I'm on a mic. A mic, okay. Yep. I mean, it sounds a little speaker-like, but it's good enough. So, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. You're yet another person walking through this revolving door of co-hosts. Often the door is empty and I have to do it myself, but uh, always happy to have a co-host here. Uh, I know you volunteered. Uh, what you probably don't know, earlier today I told you that uh, we probably want to wait until the 9th before doing this. Rather, That's the next show on September 9th instead of right. you and I doing it tonight because somebody else was going to come on. And then you're like, oh, man, you, know, you told me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I had forgotten. I don't blame you for this. Like, I forgot that I had said to you that the next show you would be on. And in that case, I said, well, all right, then I've got to keep to my word. But what people don't know, because I haven't announced this up till now, I didn't even tell you, that the person who was going to be on tonight and now will be on next week instead is none other than Marty, a.k.a. Tide, a.k.a. Judong. <laughs> You are the one who bumped him off this week. If people wanted to hear him instead of you, then it's your fault. But he will be on next week on September 9th. And uh, Judok actually took it well. I I leveled with him. I said, look, uh, when I said you can come on tonight, that was before I realized that I had promised this person specifically this week. And I want to keep what I said to the the other guy. Like, he asked first. He should come on first. He'll come on second. So, uh, Marty will be on next week. We're going to give it a try. A lot of people never thought that day would come as Marty was banned from the site for a while and Marty and I were enemies for quite some time. But for entertainment purposes, we think it'll be interesting to have a Druff and Judonk show. So we're going to have it next week. But uh, this week we have you. And uh, now you're a longtime listener to this show. Is that correct? Yeah, this show and uh, the old one, of course. And the the other one. Okay, so yeah, so... Yeah, this guy is just a listener who contacted me, said, I think I could give some good perspective in the stories you talk about. And I said, okay, sure. You know, I'm I'm pretty lax as far as who I allow to come on and co-host, as long as they have the proper equipment and uh, they have the desire to do it. So welcome. And you can feel free to chime in with your opinion anytime on any of these topics. And in fact, I want you to, because that's the point of having a co-host and... Well, also, I have, I have absolutely no objection if, uh, you know, Marty wants to join us. Obviously, he's uh, 
Very entertaining on the show. Okay, well, that's that's nice of you to to ask, but I, I don't want it to be too much. I, I don't want to have uh, you know too much at once. So we'll do uh, Marty yeah. next week, just me and him, and uh, this week will be me and you. So let's talk about the seminal Hard Rock Poker Open, and that is just uh, boy was that a mess. Boy was that a mess. Now last year, the seminal Hard Rock Poker Open had a $10 million guarantee, which was higher than any guarantee that had ever existed before. And I remember being skeptical at the time that they would reach it. In fact, one of our members, PLOL, actually traveled over there to play in it, figuring that it would be good value. There would be a big overlay. People thought that this was not a major enough of an event to get enough people to make the $10 million guaranteed prize pool. They thought a big overlay was coming. Well, guess what? That's not what happened. They got, I believe, $12 million in the prize pool, so the guarantee did not matter. And it was a great success. In fact, the $10 million guarantee was credited for bringing so many people out. And it was seen as a stroke of genius for the Seminoles. Well, now 2014. And over Labor Day weekend, the Seminole Hard Rack Poker Open had that same $10 million guarantee. And it made history once again. Except the way it made history was not good for the Seminole Hard Rock. As they had a record overlay of... $1 million. Now, they actually wish that was the overlay. By the way, can you hear my, si- my, sound, effects? my sound effects? Yeah, I heard the uh, Austin Powers. Okay, good, good, good. Sometimes it plays, sometimes it doesn't to you guys. Like, the audience always hears it, but the, uh, the caller or the co-host does not always hear it. So I'm glad we have that going here. But no, it, they actually wish it was a million dollars. It was actually 2.5 times that. $2.5 million overlay, which is unheard of. There's never been an overlay anywhere close to that. And... The Seminole Hard Rock did honor it. They didn't try to worm out of it, to their credit. They honored it. They made a $10 million guarantee. Some of the reasons cited for this, of course, you don't know for sure why people didn't come, but some reasons were people were dismayed over last year when they made the special trip down there, believing there would be an overlay, and then there wasn't, so they didn't bother this year, thinking it'd be another waste of time. And then, ironically, there was an overlay. Uh, another reason, it was competing this year with other tournaments, including like one at the Windstar. So other tournaments were going that people had an option to play, and last year it was not really competing with anything. So uh, those were the two biggest reasons being thrown around for why this occurred. And it's funny that probably the biggest one was that people showed up last year to try to get an overlay and then didn't show up this year because they felt that they wouldn't get one. So it happened in reverse. Uh, it, it's almost like saying, I don't want to drive on Friday of Labor Day weekend because there's too much traffic, and then everyone says that and there's no traffic. It's kind of a situation like that, except that doesn't really happen. In this case, it did. So they honored that, and then, if that wasn't enough, they had a high roller event of, I, I believe, a $100,000 buy-in, and they, they really got a big turnout for that one. Nine people showed up for that one. <laughs> and uh, the nine people, I guess they can all say they made the final table. 
I guess that's one good thing. You can say you final table the high roller event. But there was confusion as to how many spots were being paid. So what happened was they said they were paying two spots. But uh, then the structure sheet showed that they would pay three spots. And, I mean, how can you make that mistake? Right. And if I understand it correctly, it was, uh, it was Scott Seaver who discussed this with a floor man. Or I guess two different floor man, and he got uh, two different answers. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, but And the- then, yeah, and, and the situation was because, as he said in the intro, laughably, uh, the guy who's in charge of the whole poker room decided to take his vacation during this. Yeah, yeah. Which so- is like, you know, Jeffrey Paul is going to take uh, July off. Yeah, so so – yeah. So Scott Seaver, let's talk about him for a second. He was really at the center of this whole thing because he had a massive chip lead. And then he discovered this whole situation where three players would make the money instead of two like they had declared when the event started. So Scott was very upset about this, saying, hey, I'm probably going to win this thing and I'm going to get screwed because you have to pay three people instead of two. So I'm going to win this thing and I want – the money as if you were paying two people rather than three. And he made a big deal over this. He complained and complained and complained. So finally, the Hard Rock decided to do something that was reputable, and they threw in $50,000 of their own money to pay third place, which I, I guess they still end up losing money because they bought in for 100 k but at least they get something. They get now 50 k for finishing third instead of zero, and that was not out of the prize pool. That came from the hard rock itself to kind of make the situation right. Now, the irony came when Scott Seaver, who was making such a big deal about them not paying three spots, what spot did he finish? Third. (laughs) So Scott Seaver complains, there should be no third place money, there should be no third place money, then he gets third and takes home third place money. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, uh, talk about a lot of fail here. I mean, how hard is it to figure out and declare a prize pool for a nine-person tournament? How difficult is it? I, like, I do this on the fly on this show. Like, oh, Steve-O donated another $24. Okay, now it's this. And I, I just – I say what it is and it's done. Like, why is this so hard for them to not know that the structure sheet – is differing right. from what they're saying on the fly. You don't make this boneheaded mistake, especially in a 100K tournament, where covering a mistake like this can be very expensive. So uh, now what you made reference to is the third thing that it has to do with the Hard Rock Poker Open, which is unbelievable. And that is the, uh, the guy who is in charge of the whole thing, the director, uh, William Mason is his name, uh, he decided that during their biggest tournament of the year that it's a perfect time to take a vacation. <laughs> you know, I mean, who would ever need to be around for that? You know, it's, uh, it's only the biggest thing ever happening at the Seminole Hard Rock once a year. Why not schedule your vacation then? It makes sense. So uh, it's unbelievable, and the players were beside themselves about this. Scott Seaver tweeted, Director of Poker Operations is on vacation, I'm told, and there's no one to talk to. Uh, Ryan Fee tweeted, Also, apparently the Director of Poker Operations is on vacation during biggest week of the year here. Can't make this shit up. And he's right. I mean, (laughs) you can't make this shit up. How do you go on vacation 
when you're running a $10 million guaranteed tournament and a 100K buy-in high roller tournament? How are you not there? I understand it's Labor Day. I understand you probably want to take a vacation with your family, but then you know what? Don't schedule the tournament during Labor Day in that case. But, I mean, that's unbelievable. It's like what you're saying. It, it's like uh, it's like Jack Effel not showing up for the World Series of Poker. Him just taking off and saying, okay, I'm the director of the World Series of Poker, but I'm gone. I'm, I'm going to be gone for all seven weeks on vacation. I'll be in, uh, in Switzerland. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you guys have fun. Like, also, I mean, this guy isn't – he's just that out of poker room, so presumably he also has a boss. So I, somebody authorized the head of his own poker room in the casino to leave during the biggest event. Like, it, it, Yeah, that's it's true. Asinine. That's true. He is not the boss of the Seminole Hard Rock Casino. He's the director of poker operations, so it's unbelievable that his boss thought that was okay, uh, unless yeah. his boss was kind of out to lunch and not really looking at the dates and figuring it out, but he should be. So a big boneheaded mistake there, too. And now the funny thing is this might have happened last year, too, and maybe he ended up okay because there's no controversy there. Like if these two things hadn't happened, right. then no one would ever know the guy was gone. But uh, you don't leave when – this is really the biggest moment of what you're managing. You have to be there for it. You, you, you don't run off. This is when you especially have to be there. T- take a vacation when nothing's going on in the poker room except for a few you know, two five no limit games running. You can, you know, if you really need someone in charge of those two five no limit games, then you can always call Gavin Smith and fly him in there from Anchorage. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, really crazy stories from over there. And, hey, I'll give them credit for doing the right thing, for making it right. In fact, poker stars, for everything that people say about them and how good they are customer service-wise and how great they are for poker, they always struggle in these spots where they make a mistake and they have such a hard time making it right for the players. They always screw the players when these type of things happen. And I will give the Seminoles credit for instead of screwing the players – for being generous and say, okay, we will honor our guarantee, which really they have to do, but they didn't try to fight it. They didn't try to worm out of it. And this 50K for third, they didn't have to do that, but they immediately said, okay, we'll do it. So I will give them credit for using their, you know, for spending money to fix these problems and not trying to screw the players. And they obviously bought some goodwill in the poker community, but it's also very embarrassing for them that they had this comedy of errors and that their director of poker operations was gone throughout this whole thing. And then I have to think that might chase away some people from coming to play that again because they're going to come and think that there's nobody in charge. And you never really want that when you're playing a tournament for big money. But what do you think will happen next year? We had a year where people were expecting an overlay, showed up. And then there was no overlay. And then we have a year where people are not expecting the overlay, and there was a huge one. So you think next year everyone's going to come expecting the overlay, or you think they're going to be afraid to come because everyone else is going to come, and or, or maybe they're going to make the guarantee smaller? Yeah, I, I think everyone will be afraid to come. Um, the only thing is, uh, the other part is in them making this right, I think that'll also kind of make people afraid to come because now – you know, it's seen as a good place to play because, as you say, even though this was a glaring mistake, uh, kind of everybody makes mistakes, and it's more about how you make it right. So since they made it so right so quickly, I think that everyone's going to anticipate people going there, and it's going to kind of have the reverse effect. Yeah, I think they're going to lower the 
guarantee. I don't think they're going to let this happen again. I think they're going to be very scared of this occurring a second time. Two point five million is a lot for them to absorb. Mm-hmm. They're not a huge company like Caesars, and I think they're going to lower the guarantee. I think I do agree with you. People are probably not going to come for it, thinking that the lowered guarantee plus people being aware of the overlay the previous year is going to make it to where there is no overlay. And I will say, uh, I'm reading from the chat room, S-Double says, Scott Siva is a crybaby. And Benford says, you'd want the management to go on vacation again so the Seminoles can <laughs> add more money again. <laughs> so that's true. probably true. If they're, if they're always fixing it by adding money to the situation, you probably do want them to be incompetent. It's one of these things where you want them to make mistakes because the compensation for the mistakes is good. Mm-hmm. So, well, how big is the Hard Rock, um, you know, sort of brand? I mean, I know they have casinos all over, but do they just license that name out, or do they, they actually own all those it, casinos? This belongs to the Seminole Indians, right? So, it's presumably, they're just licensing. Yes, yeah, it's the not. I, no, it's not the Hard Rock brand coughing right. up the two point five million. It is just mm-hmm. licensing of the brand. I'm not one hundred percent sure, but I'm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I got to think that's what it is. I. I would know better if I was from Florida, but you know I don't pay that much attention to Florida poker because I'm not from there. I'm far from there. I don't have a reason to go there. So the poker I pay most attention to is the poker that's by me, California and Nevada. And you know Atlantic City, I, I really only pay attention to if someone brings my attention to something. So... Uh, now, Forbet saying in chat they made much more than two point five million in the pits off the poker players. I I don't know about that. That's a lot to make off the poker players in the pits. You're not going to have that many poker players shooting off for high high amounts, and of course some of them will get lucky and win. So you're not going to beat every single one of them. I don't think they made two point five million from the poker players alone in the pits. I don't know how big the Seminole Hard Rock Casino is. I don't know how much they make in a typical day. The $2.5 million won't break them, but it's also not just pocket change, and they definitely don't want to let this happen again. I think they'll be more cautious next year. There's been some talk that maybe this is the end of guarantee tournaments, big guarantee tournaments, but I don't agree. Like I, I'm sure the World Series of Poker is still going to have its $10 million guarantee for first next year at the main event because they know every year they get reliably 6,000-something people for the main event, so they're not risking much. And even if uh, even if they don't get that many, they can adjust around the payouts to where they can still pay out the, the ten million for first. So I don't right. think that uh, the big guarantees are going away for the reliably big tournaments. I think maybe the gimmick big guarantees like this, where they just take a shot in the dark, like hmm, we'll put on a ten million dollar guarantee tournament on something we've never run before. Like I I don't think that that's going to happen very often here or anywhere else. Maybe this will be a cautionary tale, but I don't think for established tournaments that it's going to change anything. Yeah, I think you'll probably see, like, if this is a, just a one-off casino, that, you know, having kind of a one-off casino give a big guarantee will probably go away. But especially, you know, if Poker Stars comes into the U.S. market, they want to hold land-based tournaments, I, I think you'll see big guarantees again. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of it does come down to the risk the organization can take. If it's a huge company, then... Right. It's worth taking the risk that there's an overlay because uh, there's no terrible worst-case scenario if, if there is one, and uh, and often it brings a lot more people into the tournament believing there's a guarantee. In fact, look at the Millionaire Maker 
for the World Series. Look how huge that was last year and this year. Look what a huge success that was versus other $1,500 buy-in events, which otherwise are identical, in that people love the million-dollar guaranteed first prize. Mm-hmm. And uh, people just – they love the guaranteed money because you go in with this expectation of what you can expect either to win if you win the whole thing or in the prize pool. Like you, you go in knowing you're playing for big money, and that draws a lot more people there rather than showing up and just hoping a lot of other people come so you're going to be playing for a lot. So it just – it appeals to people a lot. People are attracted to big money. So uh, a lot of issues there with the Seminoles, but – you know, I'd be ranting about them for a long time on this show if they didn't do the right thing, if they either screwed with the guarantee when they saw they weren't going to make it or if they didn't make this second, third situation right at the high roller, but they did. So good for them. I, I do want to give them credit where to do. So let's talk about Annie Duke. Uh, Annie Duke is really a pretty foul person in my opinion and she comes from a pretty foul family if you think about it the two people from that family who are in poker there's another sibling who's not in poker I don't know much about her but the two people from that family who are in poker Howard Letterer and Annie Duke have both been involved heavily involved in sites that cheated the community out of hundreds of millions of dollars. Both were unapologetic about it. Both lied about it. Both acted extremely shady about the matters that they were involved in. Uh, Both were huge hypocrites. Both are known to be arrogant and unpleasant at the table. Uh, The list goes on and on about these two. Howard was better liked by the public prior to the full tilt debacle, though I didn't like him personally. The few times I played with him, he was kind of a dick to me. And this wasn't any personal problems he had with me. He had no clue who I was. But he was just like a dick in general. He's kind of like an arrogant dick to me at the table. Um, I'll give you an example with Howard. Uh, like uh, At a Limit Hold'em event, I made day two and happened to be at Howard's table. This is in 2008. And I had a pretty good chip stack going into day two, but then I just got clobbered losing every hand. Bang, 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 bang. Like super fast. I'm in like every hand and losing every hand. And my pretty good stack dwindles down to almost zero. So I got it all in with, I think it was Kings versus Aces. I think it was my Kings versus Eric Lindgren's Aces. And uh, I think I spiked a King on the river to double up. Something like that. So before I could even say anything, you know, here I doubled up. Howard Litterer mouths off to me. Oh, now you're going to complain about your bad luck here? And so here I doubled up from a short stack to, you know, also a short stack, but just not as short. Still way shorter than what I started with, you know, half an hour ago. Just got clobbered hand after hand, both coolers and bad beats. And, and Howard has to make the snide comment just because I doubled up kings and gets aces. Like, like you know, shut up when that happened. It's not like I was... Bitching about bad luck when I'm running over the table winning 9 out of 10 hands and the, you know, the 10th where I lose, I, I bitch about a bad beat. Like, there I understand where you say something back to the guy. But you know, here everyone saw that I was getting clobbered there. And I get down to zero and double up and Howard has to make a snide comment about it. That, that was just kind of Howard's personality. And Annie Duke, uh, she once berated me 
it was before that, it was the year before that, at a poker table, very standard situation, where I had a seven-off suit in the middle position. I was down to a very short stack, and when fold, 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 I shoved all in with my ace-seven, very standard. She f- flatted me with the ace-queen. Fine, she was way ahead. I spiked the seven and doubled up. And she was furious. She was going off on me. She's saying, why are you doing that? Oh, ace-seven, great hand. Like I'm like, what is the hell? And so, so these are two people who were very unpleasant to me personally. Yeah. Um, can I say I've, I've only had one exchange with uh, Annie Duke in my life. Um, it was on Ultimate Bet. I don't know if you remember this, but they had they had kind of a four eight promotional table that was like the Annie Duke table. And if you played there in certain amounts, you got bonuses or something. I can't remember. At any rate, so at one point she actually came on the table. And was playing, and this was shortly after the the 2004 Tournament of Champions, and um, people were talking to her, but like, oh, congrats, all that kind of thing. And then somebody said, why was why was uh, Phil Helmut so mad when he lost? And she said, oh, because it was you know a winner take all, and I won two million dollars. And I typed in the chat, yeah, but didn't you guys chop when you got down to four handed? And she said, no, that's not true. Oh, I have to go, guys. See you. And that absolutely is true. <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> and, typical. It's so I mean, typical. So I, I've had one interaction with her, and basically she you know, lied to me. Yeah, so no, she, I don't have a high opinion of her. No, she's, she's such a hypocrite. I talked in the show in the past about Perlot Friedman being a limousine liberal. And that's, that's pretty much what Annie Duke is, too. And I really, really hate limousine liberals. I hate people who, who – uh, align themselves with uh, progressive or left-wing causes and, and claim to care so much about the little guy and, and, and uh, you know, claim they're a hippie or whatever it is. And then reality, they're greedy. They'll cheat people. They'll lie. They will do whatever they can to maintain their lifestyle. Perlot Friedman's case promoted, uh, heavily promoted a site that he knew was uh, still being run by the same people that cheated everyone. In Annie's case, owned a large piece of that and mm-hmm. covered that up and lied for the site for the longest time. Uh, it's just amazingly hypocritical, and it calls everything else they say into question, and you just can't ever believe anything Annie Duke ever says. So yeah. here is Annie Duke on this podcast called The Moth. Now, let me – I don't even know what The Moth is. Someone says like, someone showed up on the site and – promoted this at first someone I didn't know named Slow Roll who actually donated 50 bucks tonight and I did get the money and thank you but at first I'm like who's this Slow Roll guy I thought he was like maybe trying to spam this moth site but it turned out he wasn't turned out he was just you know doing something nice and bringing our attention to it but if you go to themoth.org t-h-e-m-o-t-h dot org it says the moth true stories told live so I guess it's kind of like a podcast of semi-well-known or well-known people making speeches. I, I don't quite get it. But Annie Duke appeared on The Moth, and I'm hearing that she actually made this speech that you're going to hear two years ago in 2012, and they're just playing it now in 2014. Why they waited two years, I have no idea, but uh, that's what I'm hearing. I don't have confirmation on that, but that's what I'm hearing. And... You will hear 
a very different Annie Duke than what we're describing here. You're going to hear someone who's very likable and sounds very rational, sounds like a nice woman and someone you'd want to get to know. Very different than the real Annie. It just shows you a lot of times people who are not honest can do this. They can put on a face that's very likable. They can put on an air that makes you want to trust them and like them. And then in reality, there's nothing like that. So here's Annie talking about the 2004 Tournament of Champions, just like what you were talking about. And it's funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned that she did a chop because that's not part of the story either. But I believe <laughs> of it. Of course not. I believe it. So here we go. It's 2004, and I'm playing in a $2 million winner-take-all poker tournament called the Tournament of Champions. And I have two tens, and I have to decide whether to put the last of my remaining chips into the pot and risk getting knocked out. Now, before we even continue, I heard this. I'm like, wow, Annie Duke sounds hot. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard Annie Duke speak before, and she doesn't sound like that. Like, I hear her speak in person, and I've heard her speak in other interviews. Or Like, I've heard Annie Duke speak many times, and she does not sound like this. So I, I think Annie Duke, like, went up to do this speech and, like, consciously was trying to sound, like, cute and kind of ditzy. So I, that's the only thing I can explain here. Like, is this the voice you remember of Annie Duke when you've seen her? No. 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 And, and if you go back to, you know, the very defensive, evasive UB interviews, this is not yeah. Annie Duke. Yeah. She's, like, really, really trying hard to sound cute here. And I've already taken 15 seconds with this decision, and it's just way too long. See, in poker, you make these very complex mathematical calculations, these very deep reads of your opponents, and you have to do it all very quickly because there's 10 people at this table, and the action needs to keep moving along. So 15 seconds in poker is an eternity. That's not even true. That's not even true. If, if someone has a big decision, nobody gets frustrated when 15 seconds has passed and, and they haven't made a decision yet. People get frustrated when a few minutes have passed, but 15 seconds would actually be a very quick decision time for something that's kind of tough. But I'm having tremendous difficulty with this decision, and there's a few reasons why. The first is that $2 million is just by far the largest amount of money that I have ever played for in my life. And in fact, earlier in the year, in 2004, I had won a World Series of Poker championship, a bracelet, and I had only won about 150000 So $2 million just was putting a lot of pressure on me. But the second reason, uh, and the more important reason for me, was that this was the first time that I'd played on television with these new little lipstick cameras that they were putting in the rail of the table that could see your whole cards and expose them to the world. And this was causing me a lot of difficulty in thinking about this hand. You see, ESPN and Harris World Series of Poker had invited uh, what they said was the 10 best players in the world to come together and play this winner-take-all $2 million championship against each other on television. And I was there among these nine great players, five of whom were Hall of Famers. And the, the knock on me was that I was only there because I was a woman, that, that while I was good, I wasn't actually one of the best players in the world. And that ah, Okay, so now we see what this is going to be about. Now we understand that this is the feminist female triumphs despite people thinking that maybe she shouldn't be their story. That uh, not only is she with nine of the top poker players in the world, 
but that she's the only female there and that she has to play for the you know for her whole gender basically to show that women can really compete and that she's not just there because of her gender but because she's actually a good player because she's right. really a world class player just like the rest of them also correct me if i'm wrong druff but uh she said there that's her first time using the whole card cams yeah but wasn't the toc after the 2004 world series because if I remember correctly, Greg Raymer was at that table, and he was only there because he just won the main event. Yes, yes. So she played the whole 2004 World Series, never at a televised table. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if she was at one or not. But yes, that what you're saying is true. I just don't know if she was at one before that. But uh, but yeah, this this is really the Annie Duke proves that women can play story. So let's hear the rest of this. I didn't deserve to be there uh, because ESPN had just decided that since women were a novelty and poker, it would be really good to have a woman at the table. And in 2004, I was, in fact, uh, the winningest woman in the history of the World Series at that time. So Yeah, she, she must hate saying that. She must hate saying in 2004 I was. She bragged about this for years and years, even though Kathy Liebert passed her and then Vanessa Selbst really passed her. So, like... She must right. hate not being able to say I'm the winningest female tournament player. Like she can't even say that anymore, and uh, it must kill her. She has to say things like, in 2004, I was. I was just the logical choice if they were going to put a woman there, but I actually didn't deserve to be there. And the, the problem for me was that I actually believed them. And so for the first time as I'm sitting here trying to decide whether to put my money in this pot with these two tens and risk getting knocked out, I realize that my mistakes might be exposed to the world and I might prove all my critics right. Yeah, they're all going to say, look at that stupid girl. She doesn't yeah. deserve to be here. It should be all men at this table. That and stupid it, girl it, with it, her tens. If you've ever met any Duke, she certainly lacks confidence. So that sounds really true <laughs> to me. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly her thought process, that she may not be uh -huh. good enough and that uh, yeah. she's suffering from self-esteem problems. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, go, let's go on with this thing. And as 30 seconds have passed, I looked over at my brother, and my brother at that time, and, and still actually was one of the best players in the world, and he too had been invited to this table to play this big tournament. And I looked over at him, and I just couldn't figure out how my life had gotten here. You see, about a decade before, when I was still in graduate school and living on a graduate student stipend, and I couldn't really afford to go on a vacation, my brother had offered to fly me out to Las Vegas while he was playing in the World Series of Poker and put me up at the Golden Nugget for two weeks, which is just like, the most luxurious place I'd ever been at the time. Uh, and, and, and he brought me out for this vacation, and, and we're sitting here after midnight in the basement coffee shop of Binion's Horseshoe Casino, kind of a rundown casino on, on Fremont Street with its faux western decor. And, and you might say, well, why were you there after midnight eating? And, and the reason is that after midnight, they actually had a $1.99 steak special. Uh, so for $1.99, you got a steak and a salad and a vegetable and a roll, and, and this was really awesome for someone who was living on uh, a graduate student stipend. So that's why we're there, and my brother was eating with me. And he asked me how my vacation was going. He actually asked me if I was having any fun. Uh, and I said to him, in fact, actually, I I'm kind of bored. My brother was playing poker all day at the World Series because uh, he, at that time, was already one of the best players in the world. And so she has to talk up Howard, too. You know, she said a few times he's one of the best players in the world, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're going to hear a lot of times throughout this interview the talking up of Howard, of, of what a great player he is and what a wonderful guy he is. And the funny thing is when you saw Howard appearing on some of these uh, – 
like high stakes poker TV shows, people were not impressed with how he played. People just thought he was like a, a super nit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but putting that aside here, she, she really talks up Howard, and that just kind of bugs me even more because <laughs> it's like uh, she and Howard are so oblivious to what they've done. They they still think they're great people. They still think they're just misunderstood. And this speech, which is in 2012, which was after all the the debacles of both of those sites, UB and Full Tilt, and she's talking up Howard and expecting everyone to receive it like Howard is, is such a great guy and we should all still be admiring him. You couldn't really watch poker back then. There was a rail and it was, it was just hard to watch. So that wasn't any fun for me. And uh, I really don't enjoy gambling, which I know sounds kind of, I know because I'm a poker player, it sounds kind of crazy. But actually poker is very different than gambling. And I didn't enjoy things like Baccarat or, or craps or anything like that. And actually one night my brother's friends had kindly offered to sort of take on the burden of his sister entertainment and taking me over to Glitter Gulch, which is uh, the seediest strip club you've ever seen down on Fremont Street Casino. And, and somehow seeing naked women grind their breasts against my brother's friends was not only fun, but slightly uncomfortable and unnerving. So I didn't really want to repeat that experience. So, so I just said to him, I really, I, I kind of don't have anything to do. And he said, well, why aren't you playing poker? You've watched me play so much poker. I said, well, I don't really know if I, I know what to do, Howard. And, and he took uh, one of those little black Kino crayons out of the well that you fill the cards out with, and he took his napkin from the table, and he wrote down all the two-card starting hands I was allowed to enter the pot with. He said, as long as you just play these hands, I promise you you'll do okay. And he handed me this napkin and $100. And he sent me across the street clutching this napkin to the Fremont Casino which, if anybody's in there, makes Binion's look like the Taj Mahal. Uh, at that time, the nicest restaurant in the Fremont was a Carl's Jr. Uh, so, so I went in there, and I played this dollar-to-three game, and I actually won $300 that trip. It was like- so that's the beginning. That's the beginning that Howard gave her a list of hands to play. She didn't know what she was doing, but by sticking to Howard's advice that uh, she was still able to win 300 and that was the start, and that's what then propelled her to end up at that tournament of champions playing for a $2 million winner-take-all and not wanting to be the first person out. A lot of money, and very soon after that, I kind of caught the poker bug, and I left graduate school to pursue a life as a professional poker player. And, and I just I loved the life because it was so anonymous. And, and people would ask me, they'd say, well, what do you do for a living? And I'd say, well, I play poker for a living. And they'd say, oh, where do you deal? I said, no, no, I I don't deal cards to people. I actually play. So here we go again with the whole I'm a female and no one took me seriously and here I am to finally prove them wrong. It's it's all part of the same theme. But I like her statement that she loved poker because it was so anonymous. Has any Duke ever wanted to be anonymous or not have attention? Yeah, she's a real real wallflower there. But I also like that in 2012 she's still presenting herself as a poker player. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time Annie Duke played poker? Yeah, well, she doesn't have to. After, you know, she cashed out so much from UB, she doesn't have to play at all. And they say, oh, well, what does your husband do? And I say, well, actually, um, he stays at home. Uh, I support the family. And usually the conversation would devolve into something about the uh, the, uh, merits of Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah, where's your husband now, Annie? Where was that husband from then? Where is she now? Where is he now? Why, Why do you think he's not there anymore? Just curious. And see, the audience is even laughing at what I said. (laughs) 
which has a lot of merit, but I don't think for me. Um, but I loved that. I loved that people didn't understand what I did and that I was eccentric because I valued eccentricity so much. And, and I loved that nobody was going to know who I was. And I was doing this in private on the margins of society because at that time, nobody in poker could have imagined that, you know, ESPN would be airing this big thing. That, you now, know, I have a, hold on a second here. Hold on. I see. This is where she's just such a phony. She loves eccentricity. She loves eccentricity. All right. So some of you might recall the story that Daniel Negreanu told about her. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, pull this up here. I think I found it. Yeah. So this was in 1996 at another fine hotel, the Four Queens. Daniel Negreanu was 22. And nobody knew who he was. He was a total nobody in poker. So don't think of the Negroni you know today. Think of a 22-year-old kid who's unknown and uh, is just trying to get into poker. So something Negroni used to do, which was kind of eccentric, is uh, he would fill up a styrofoam cup with water, he'd drink it, and then instead of putting the cup down when it was empty, he would just hold it in his mouth the reason he claimed he did this is so the porter wouldn't take the cup away because he, he always wanted to have this cup to keep going to refill. And if he just put down an empty cup, then one of the porters would grab it. So that's why he claimed he always held it in his mouth. So uh, he would do this when he played poker, and he encountered Annie Duke, who, again, remember, she said that she loves eccentricity. Uh, she ridiculed Daniel Negreanu about this. Uh that uh, when she was like at the next table over and she'd say this really loud so Daniel would hear it, she'd say, oh my God, what's with Cup Boy over there? I wonder what that cup's all about. You think it's for, like for medical reasons? And then she would start giggling arrogantly at him. And so, so then Daniel went up to her and said, hey, if you really want to know, there, there's actually a pretty normal reason for it and then explained it. And then... Uh, so so he was uh, he was really frustrated about that. And and then she did some other things that she berated him in another hand uh the way he played when he was playing with her. So so basically uh here's someone who says she loves poker because she loves eccentricity and yet someone who shows up at the table acting in an eccentric manner with a cup in his she has to mock the guy. So it's just Yeah, but this is I mean this is Annie Duke. Her whole thing is that she's above everyone else. So you can even hear it in that line about uh, Gamblers Anonymous, where she says, I think that's true, but not for me. Like, oh, yeah, there's all these degens in the game, but, you know, I'm this high and mighty character. Yeah. Which has kind of been her attitude, you know, since forever, that we should just be lucky we we get to hear what the great Andy Duke has to say. Yeah. Three million people might watch because we were just poker players, but... But the other thing that was so great about what I did was that I wasn't the only one who was anonymous. My cards were anonymous. So I was the only one who can, could see them because they were fake. Well, that's not true, Annie. On UB, uh, you weren't the only one who could see your cards. Uh, Russ Hamilton was uh, seeing them quite well. <laughs> but not only that, Annie, there's another story with her and Daniel Negreanu where – and this is a pretty well-known story – where after he mucked his cards, that she grabbed his cards, 
mm-hmm. and looked at them. And Daniel says, what are you doing? And she's like, just checking or just peeking. I think that's what she said, just peeking. So I can yeah. imagine like you, you muck your cards and someone just at the table grabs them and says, just peeking. What the hell is that? So, uh, I imagine she thought she was so quote unquote cute. She can get away with it yeah. because that's, those are other stories she loves to tell us all the sexism in poker and how much she gets hit on. And yeah. It's down, which meant that I went, um, when I made mistakes, I was the only one who saw them. And that was kind of good and bad because as I started to find success, I was on my way at that point to being sort of the winningest woman in poker, um, you know, during the 90s. People started to say, you know, she seems to be pretty good. She seems to have a lot of talent. And that felt really good for people to be saying those nice things about me. But all I saw while I was playing was my own mistakes. And so what, what ha- went along with that was that I started to feel just a little bit like a fraud. In fact, I started to feel a lot like a fraud. Oh, it's too bad. So now here I am with these two tens at this table, and 45 seconds has passed. And I'm so afraid that the world is going to now find out what I already know about myself, which is that I'm a fraud. Well, they they did find out. Yeah, this this story is more applicable to... uh... You know, you be your epic yeah, poker, I mean, it's, to be it's, honest. If you just listen to that little soundbite, then uh, I actually agree with that part. It's one of the few things she said that was right. so afraid that the world is going to now find out what I already know about myself, which is that I'm a fraud. <laughs> we got to just cut that little part out. That's got to be uh, like the, the soundbite for Annie Duke. That's, that's true. Annie, yeah. I agree. for once you said something true. And I'm trying to make this poker decision. And one of the other problems for me is that I'm against this guy named Greg Raymer. And Greg Raymer, uh, I had opened the pot with these two tens, and he had pushed all his chips in, and he has more than I do. So I'm trying to make this decision whether to risk all my chips against this guy. And, and I just really don't know anything about him because he's just come on the scene a few months before. Nobody had ever heard of him, and all of a sudden he won the main event of the World Series of Poker. And you know how Annie is uh, very well known, according to DeGranu, about uh, treating people well who just came onto the scene. <laughs> in July of that year, uh, so I've never actually played a hand of poker with him. And the only thing I really know about him is that his nickname is The Fossil Man. Uh, and the reason why it's called The Fossil Man is because he plays with these fossils as his card protectors. He sticks them on top of his cards. And the thing I know is that if you manage to knock him out, which is completely impossible on this hand because I have fewer chips than he does, but if at some point during the tournament I could knock him out, I know that he'll give me one of these fossils, which, you know, in comparison to the $2 million prize, not really what I'm trying to win, but I guess it would be something. Maybe he wanted to give her one of the fossils as payment for services later. <laughs> So I don't want to use this to bash Raymer. Let's go on. Um, I really just have no idea uh, how, to, how to figure out what he has. And, and the poker decision itself should actually be quite easy. I've got two tens, and if he has a hand like aces or kings, I'm actually just supposed to fold because those are much better than my hand. And if he has a hand like an ace or a king, I'm supposed to call. But I'm having trouble focusing on the poker. And as 60 seconds has passed at this table, I hear somebody, uh, myself actually, as if it's, if it's at someone else outside of my body apologizing to this table of these nine great players, these five Hall of Famers, my brother saying, I'm so sorry, I know I'm taking too long, but this is just a really hard decision. Yeah, Annie always has humility. She always feels bad when she puts other people out. Like, you know, this is Annie in 2012. You know, after this whole epic poker thing where they promise this uh, million-dollar free roll 
for the people leading uh, in this epic poker league on the leaderboard, the top 27 get to play for a million bucks, and they never end up holding it, and these people just get screwed out of their million-dollar free roll. And Annie drew a salary of over 300 k a year on this thing. She never gave a dime back to these people, but she's worried about taking 15 seconds at the poker table and holding everyone up. <laughs> Jeez. Come on. And what I know is that the other people at the table think that the hard decision is the poker decision. But what I know is that the hard decision is that I'm so afraid of making a mistake and I can't decide whether I'm just making a decision about trying not to lose so I can last with my little bit of chips and not be the first one out so everybody will know that I really didn't deserve to be there. And as I'm trying to figure this out, I, I, I looked over at my brother, my mentor, my mentor, trying to find some sort of solace, <laughs> trying to find some sort of way out of what was going on in my head. And in that moment, I remembered that we had watched Raymer playing the main event on TV that week. They had actually just started airing it the week before we came in to play this. And we had seen Greg Raymer play a hand against a guy named Mike, Mike, named Mike Mattiso. And my brother had, had pointed out in a hand where Greg had a really good hand that Greg did something. There was something he did called a tell that telegraphed that his hand was really good. Ah, okay. So this is almost like a movie where the hero is really struggling and about to do the wrong thing and they're just about to make the mistake. They're just about to fail. And then they look over at the inspirational character who's been helping them along. In this case, it was her brother, her mentor. And she sees his face and then the memory comes rushing back and you, you picture like Howard's face. You kind of like zoom into it and then suddenly you see the two of them watching TV and Howard's like, look, look, there's a tell. There's a tell. Um, there's a tell. And uh, that's that's when he has a good hand. And uh, that's that's when if you ever see Raymer do that at the table, uh, you know that he has something like like aces or kings. And just remember that, Annie, if you ever happen to be at a table with Greg Raymer for some reason, then you make sure that you remember that he has these tells. And then she, she has the, this moment where she realizes, and then it like zooms back away from that and, uh, and back to Annie. And then again, she has one more question for her brother, her mentor. Tell me uh -oh. if I'm talking to uh -oh. you. Sorry, I had the wrong, uh, wrong sound bite up here. Now she has a question for her brother, her mentor. If, uh, if there is no tell, should she, she be folding? And here's what he said. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So. One time at a party? <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I remember one time at a party. <laughs> so. uh. And as I was looking at my brother, I suddenly remembered this. And I looked back over at Raymer. And I saw him do that thing that my brother had pointed out when he had watched him on television. I wonder what Raymer thought of this. I wonder if Raymer's like, she's so full of shit here. She just, you know, she just happened to fold the tens because she was scared to bust with tens and she's making up this tell story. And I knew in that moment that he had to have a really good hand. He had to have those aces or kings and that I could easily fold my tens because it was the right poker choice. And I did it confidently. Confidently. But the problem was that this was the hand right before dinner which meant that we were now going to have to get up from the table, all 10 of us, and we were going to have to go out and, and sort of take an hour, me with my little bit of chips left. Uh, and as we were walking out the door to go take our hour break, Phil Helmuth, 
12-time world champion Phil Hellmuth, the poker brat, 6'5", towering over me, reader of souls, says to me, Annie, I know you had to have jacks or tens on that hand. Don't you know Raymer had to have ace-king? It was totally obvious to me. And all the confidence that I had found in that hand just seconds before just went out of me. And I was left for an hour in my room at the Rio, ruminating, filled with self-doubt that while I might have fooled myself into thinking I was making a good poker decision at the time, that clearly I had just made a decision to try not to lose so that I wouldn't prove anybody right. Uh, So Phil Hellmuth, the lovable clown at the poker table, uh, the man that everyone loves to love and loves to hate, gets in Annie's head and now makes her doubt herself again. And you might wonder, did Annie come back and was she so rattled by Phil Helmuth that she chunked off the the rest of her chips? No. Listen to this inspiring story. So I came back to the table after what seemed like an eternity, and clearly with no focus, with no ability to really feel like I could be playing well. But the great thing in poker is that sometimes the cards save you from yourself. They save you from your own self-doubt. You just get really good cards that really just aren't hard to play because you just kind of win every hand. And that's actually what happened to me. I came back and uh, I had two uh, queens against Johnny Chance two eights and I I won this really big pot. And and then I actually had a really big hand against Greg Raymer where I I took a lot of his chips. and, And I wasn't the first one out of the tournament or the second one out of the tournament or the third one out or even the fourth one out or the fifth one. And now all of a sudden we're five people left in the the tournament and I get in this huge pot against Greg Raymer, the fossil man, the person who would put me to such a difficult decision earlier. And this time I have more chips than he does. And we get all the money in and I actually knock Greg Raymer out. And he picks up his fossil and he brings it around to me. And as he hands me this fossil, my gift for knocking him out of the tournament, He whispers in my ear, Annie, I know the hand you had earlier was really hard for you. And I want you to know that I had two kings. Oh, so now we're already starting to see Annie's confidence coming right back. Annie finds out she made the good fold. Greg Raymer nicely tells her that he had kings right after he busts, so he lets her know it was really hard for her. And now she's feeling good. And you made a really good fold. You made a really good fold. Mm. Oh, my God. No. No. Stop. Stop. Don't cheer her. No, she didn't deserve it. Stop. In that moment, Greg Raymer gave me not just the gift of the fossil, but the gift of my confidence back. And the gift of his penis later. (laughs) And in that moment, I... What was that? Did she get to the part where uh, I think she calls off sixes against sevens and hits a six? That was no, when no. they were three-handed against, uh, I think no, it was Howard. I think that that's how omitted. she ended up getting a big stack and winning. Yeah, I think her. that's omitted no, in no, the story. I realized that I could start playing to win again. And now we were four people left, and I had the most chips. And the next one out was Johnny Chan. And then actually, it was just three-handed, me, my brother, and Phil Helmuth. And I got in a huge hand against my brother and actually knocked my own brother out of the tournament. He's sitting right over there. And... He's sitting right over there. He's sitting right over there. He he uh, he flew over to watch me speak with money he stole from Full Tilt. So my brother can make it. Hi, hi, Howard. 
And you might say, like, how could you do that? How could you knock your own brother out of the tournament? In fact, three weeks later when the tournament aired, uh, the minute after that hand aired on television, my mother called me up and said, Annie, how could you knock your own brother out of this tournament? And I said, well, now I know who your favorite is. <laughs> Would you rather him knocked me out, Mom? Uh, but anyway, my brother was actually, uh, he wasn't happy for himself, but he was, he was happy for me because he taught me how to play, and he taught me how to play hard. And he would have expected me to play just as hard against him as anybody else. And I suppose if he was going to lose all of his chips, he probably was happy he lost them to me. And, and, and as he was getting out, uh, up to go out of the room, he came around, he gave me a big hug. He said, Annie, you're, you're really playing great now. Just beat Phil. So now it was heads up against Phil Helmuth, the thief of my confidence. And I got in a big pot with him when I had more chips, and I had king 10, and he had 10-8, and, and I won the hand, and I actually beat Phil to collect the $2 million prize in the tournament. Woo! Yeah! All right, Annie. Yes. You to collect the $2 million dollar prize in the tournament that no one thought I even deserved to be at. And now when people ask me what the most important hand of poker I ever played in my life is, I don't say it was the king 10 that I beat Phil Helmuth with to win that big prize. I say it was the two tens that I found such a difficult fold with. Because sometimes it's not the really big things that you do that get you the win. It's the really big things that you don't do. Oh, mm. food for thought. It's sometimes what you don't do, not what you do. Annie, how about it's not always the things you do or the things you don't do. Like don't remain an owner of UB for years after they are caught cheating people. How about you don't continue collecting money through your ownership of that site and continue promoting it with the same ownership that stole it from people? How about you don't do that? No. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Thank you for... For two decades, Annie Duke was one of the top poker players in the world. Annie recently found... She was. <laughs> For two decades, she was one of the top poker players in the world. Now she's a nobody. ...how I decide, a non-profit business that teaches decision-making skills to underserved youth. Isn't that nice? She, she now runs a non-profit to teach decision-making skills to underserved youth. Like, uh, th that's what I mean. Like, why didn't she care about the underserved poker players who got screwed by UB? Why didn't she care about the underserved people who thought they were getting a million-dollar free roll and played her stupid epic tournament series and she made out with a six-figure, multiple six-figure salary in the whole thing? Why didn't she care about that? Annie currently resides in the Philadelphia area with her four children. And actually, her story is featured in the Moth book called The Moth, 50 True Stories. You can find out more about the book at themoth.org. Yeah, I, I hope that moth runs into the light and crashes to the ground. Oh, boy. Well, it's funny because, I mean, Annie Duke's basically a con man. I mean, she's had the ultimate bet, the epic poker. Now she's kind of reinvented herself. Uh, it's, it, it seems to me if you go to her site in some sort of, like, she's this inspirational public speaker. And she's telling all the trials of all these adversities and everything like that. And it's like, wouldn't wouldn't a simple Google just have nobody ever book this woman to speak on anything? Yeah. But 
I guess she's conned them too. I don't know. Here's some comments from the chat room. Muck Ficon said she sounds like she was having phone sex during that speech. I thought so too. I mean, it was <laughs> obvious obvious that she was putting on a phony voice for it to sound uh, cute and innocent. Uh, someone else surprised she lives in Philly. Someone else saying they th- thought she lived in L.A. or Oregon. Well, I'm sure the poker scene is better out there, so she's a professional poker player. Someone is asking uh, how much money she is uh, making by dealing drugs to the underprivileged youth. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, funny comments in the chat room. And look, uh, Annie Duke, total hypocrite, total fraud, bad person from a crappy family, apparently, or at least uh, crappy siblings. And I I thought that would be a funny thing to play. I always love playing these type of things and commenting on them. It's, it always makes for entertaining radio. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. And slow rolled, I think was his name. So thank you. Well, poker stars had an idea in 2006 that would have really made a big splash. Now keep in mind, this was before the UIGEA had passed so this was really before the hammer came down in any way on any of these sites. Poker stars chose to keep operating in the U.S. market for four and a half years after the UIGEA in October 2006. Party Poker did not, and they bailed out of the U.S. market, as did several other sites. But before that, Poker stars really felt that they could just keep operating and they just had unlimited potential in the United States for many, many years to come. So they were willing to throw some money around. Nolan Dalla, who's a veteran of the poker world and has had various jobs in the poker community. He's also a poker player, but he's more in the uh, administrative side now of poker. Poker media, uh, working for poker companies. He's he's kind of moved on to that as as more of the way he makes money these days. He still lives in Vegas. He has a blog. In fact, Nolan Dollar was one of the people who was cheated by Peter Falcone, who unfortunately blessed our community for a while. And he wrote about that as well in his blog. In fact, had he blogged about Peter Falcone when it happened, then we wouldn't have had the mess that we did. But that aside, Nolan Dollar decided for no apparent reason to tell a story about poker stars when he worked there. And the possible offer that they were going to put out to purchase the New Orleans Saints. So at that point, the Saints were struggling and there were rumors that they were going to be for sale. So Nolan Dalla came up with the idea that after the Saints had a bad season in 2005, and they couldn't even play in their own city of New Orleans thanks to Hurricane Katrina. Uh, a lot of people thought that football was done in New Orleans. And even if it wasn't, people weren't going to want to come to the games in 2006 after all the community had been through. That just nobody had the money to show up to those games anymore. So Saints majority owner Tom Benson contemplated selling the team and the speculation would be that it would be for about $600 million that he would be asking for. He didn't ask for anything yet. He didn't say he was selling, but when the 
speculation came out that he was going to sell. People are saying, okay, probably be about $600 million is what he's going to let it go for. Uh, $600 million, a lot of people felt was pretty cheap to come up with an NFL team at that point. So there was some fear that some investors would buy it for this price of $600 million and then move the team, maybe to a place like Los Angeles that hasn't had football in many years. And so even if the team was bought, it wouldn't stay in New Orleans, and people in New Orleans were kind of worried about that. So Nolan Dalla came up with the idea that poker stars should offer $600 million cash, and that shows you how much money they were making, that by 2006 they already had $600 million cash on hand to do this with, but that they were going to publicly announce that they wanted to buy the New Orleans Saints and would do so immediately with cash. Now keep in mind that at this point, Poker Stars was number two in the U.S. market, Party Poker was still number one. This was the peak of the poker boom. If you remember in 2006, 8,700 people entered the main event. We haven't had anything near that. The closest was in 2010 when 7,300 entered the World Series main event. But 2006 was really the peak of the poker boom. And Poker Stars was trying to find a way to beat Party Poker. So this was their idea to make such a splash with this offer to get in the news all over the place that Poker Stars wants to buy the Saints. And the idea would be that this would be discussed everywhere in the mainstream media and that people who weren't aware of what Poker Stars was would then look into it and want to start playing there. So it was a good way to get their name out. They also figured that they wouldn't have to go through with buying the team because they figured the NFL, there's no way they would ever let a poker site by an NFL team, especially one that isn't operating completely legally in the United States. Because in early 2006, it was a legal gray area as far as operating poker for real money. There were some who felt it was against the law, some who felt it wasn't. It wasn't really clear, but it definitely wasn't legal, which is why all the sites that were running then were not like the legalized sites you see today, like WSOP.com. It was always foreign sites like PokerStars. They were all offshore. So there's no way that uh, the NFL, who already is afraid of gambling scandals, there's no way that they would approve a deal where an offshore poker site would buy one of their teams. But they didn't care. They actually kind of didn't want to buy the Saints. They just wanted all the publicity from making noise about offering $600 million cash for full ownership of the Saints. So why didn't you ever hear about this? Well, Isai Scheinberg who was then the owner of Poker Stars, considered Nolan Dallas' proposal and at first he was interested. At first he was saying, hey, you know what? I think that this is probably equivalent to like 15 to $20 million of free publicity. But uh, for whatever reason, Esai Scheinberg decided to pass on this. I think he didn't want uh, that much exposure. He didn't want the government to start talking too much about poker stars or having a lot of public debate about what poker stars is and should they be operating. So Isai said, you know what? 
a good way to get publicity, but I think it's too much publicity, so we shouldn't do it. So they didn't do it, but they came close. And had it not been for the fear of getting too much publicity, and since they were making so much money anyway, they decided not to. So I thought it was an interesting story. And uh, I just wanted to share this with you guys here. Happened eight years ago, but Nolan mentioned it in his blog, which was dated uh, very recently. What was it? Uh, August 29th is when Nolan wrote about it. You can read this and other stories on nolandala.com in case you're interested. So, any comments on this? Not a lot on this one, no. I mean, it it was a smart idea. It was. I can see also at that time where they're like, well, do we really want to show that we have this much cash to just, you know, throw yeah, around? Yeah, then that's pretty much why they didn't do it. They're like, crap, you know, if, if the American people realize that we've made $600 million off them, uh, there's going to be some debate about why we're doing this and how we're getting away with it. So, yeah, uh, it was actually smart not to do it. Mm-hmm. PokerStar is usually very smart with business decisions. I'll give them that. Well, speaking of PokerStars, they might enter the legalized U.S. market in New Jersey as soon as October? Yeah. So this is the story. This is uh, what's happening with poker stars and the possibility of them entering New Jersey by October. Uh, If you remember that they were bought by Amaya... And that's pretty much to get the Scheinbergs out, which was a requirement by New Jersey if they were going to get licensed there. So, according to sources in New Jersey, and this is being reported by njpokeronline.net. I've never heard of them before, so maybe they're not reputable, but this is what they're claiming. Uh, But according to sources in New Jersey in this article, PokerStars will soon receive approval to launch in the New Jersey online gaming market for both Poker Stars and Full Tilt sometime in early fourth quarter 2014, October. They've received the go-ahead to prepare Poker Stars and Full Tilt for the New Jersey launches, that they have a month to meet the guidelines and regulations for the state's online poker and gaming operations. They also have to fulfill all licensing obligations and prepare promotions to welcome players to the site. So, the, so they're very busy there at PokerStars, apparently, to get all this ready in a month. So this is not confirmed yet, but this is strongly rumored that they will be entering the market in October and that PokerStars will be the poker site and Full Tilt, oddly enough, will be for the casino games because you remember... New Jersey, you can also play online casino games, not just online poker. In Nevada, it's only online poker. Same with Delaware, to my knowledge. Actually, I'm not sure about Delaware. You know about Delaware? No, I'm not sure on that one. No, I'm not sure either. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It's Delaware. But uh, New Jersey, they can have full casino games on there. So PokerStars is actually splitting it to where it's stars for the poker and full tilt for the casino games. Now, is that a mandate from the state, or they're just choosing to do that? I think that's just the way they're choosing to do it, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, uh, David Rebuck, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement director, made a statement on the matter. He said, 
He's encouraged by this development and the expanded opportunities it might provide for New Jersey's internet gaming industry. So, uh, it's probably going to happen. We will see how much impact that has on the New Jersey market, whether everyone floods in because PokerStars is running now or if pretty much everybody who wants to play is already playing. Uh, There are a few complications here. Uh, Resorts International has still has a deal with poker stars and uh, uh, the the complication is that uh, the division of gaming enforcement was going to not reopen the poker stars application and uh, Amaya was going to have to adjust his licensing paperwork to include the there are companies in there, so there's some, still some complications with getting it done that could delay this. Um, also, apparently, there's a conflict of interest a little bit in that uh, Amaya has some deals with companies in New Jersey that use the on-game network software, and uh, so I, I, I don't know what they're going to do about that, that uh, they already have deals with other software so we'll have to see what happens with all that but I think it's going to happen pretty soon and very possibly in October you're going to see legalized online poker on PokerStars in New Jersey Hmm. now do you think that this is going to really increase traffic or you think it's just going to be more pleasant to play on there yeah, I don't see how because isn't party poker already in New Jersey? Yeah, so already, you already have a large, well-established site that was kind of in exile and got to come back. I, I really don't see how Poker Stars is going to be that much different. Yeah, and you know, Poker Stars uh, it does have better software than Party. Party software has never been mm-hmm. that great, but at the same time, I don't think people are staying out of the New Jersey online poker because they hate the software that much. I think I think they're staying out just because they have no interest. I don't think Poker Stars coming back is going to make people who didn't want to play before say, okay, now I've got to play because it's Poker Stars. I, mm-hmm. I think the only help it may give is that with a better software, people who are kind of like casual players may want to stay around longer because it's easier to use and more appealing to use. But I don't think you're going to see an influx of people. Uh, maybe a few pros moving to the state to play on poker stars. Right. But I don't see a big influx of people. I think that this might be good for the players already there, but I don't think it's going to dramatically increase the player pool. And I know they're very disappointed in New Jersey so far. It was expected to be doing much better, expected to be making a lot more money than it is. And in that sense, online poker has been a bit of a disappointment in the legalized state online poker rooms. It's been pretty much a failure in Nevada. And in New Jersey, it's, it's making some money, but nowhere near what they were hoping it would. And I think this might discourage some states from legalizing it themselves, though a state like California, I'm sure, still wants to go through with it because they're so much bigger, they figure that they're in a different category, which they probably are. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, I'd be pissed if I was party poker right now. No, oh, I would be too. I mean, they left not only left the market, but if I remember, paid 
the DOJ something like three hundred million. Yeah, yeah. And Party what poker. what did they get for that? Twelve months. That that's um, what I've been saying all this time. I don't mind as a player poker stars coming into the market, but I just don't think it's fair. I think the other operators are getting screwed here. And Party Poker, they they played by the rules. They they backed out of the U.S. market. They paid their big fine. Now, yes, mm-hmm. Poker Stars paid an even bigger fine in uh, 2011, but they made so much more money. Overall, Poker Stars came out way, way ahead by continuing to operate illegally when Party Poker agreed not to. So uh, this is really a case where no good deed goes unpunished or where following the rules gets you screwed or where nice guys finish last, whatever cliche you want to put here. Uh, you, uh, you're seeing here Poker Stars is now waltzing into the New Jersey market very quickly, and Party Poker, after doing everything what they thought was right and leaving a lot of money on the table, ends up competing with Poker Stars anyway. You know, at least Party Poker was probably thinking all these years, okay, well, at least if it ever gets regulated and legalized, at least Poker Stars right. is never coming back, and here they are. You would think they had been waiting for, you know, the day where they're going to be the only established website for, I would assume in their mind, for that kind of money, three years at least. Yeah. And I don't know what they got, 10 months or something like yeah, that. So it's, it's, and, uh, yeah, it's probably not going to end well for them. Yeah. Party poker. Yeah, I, I feel bad for them. I mean, it's a, it's just it's not fair from a business standpoint. It's not fair in the standpoint of, you know, the way these poker rooms are being treated, the way... Poker Stars has such a huge competitive edge because they got to operate illegally for so many years and make so much money and be able to mm-hmm. afford to develop the very best software. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually really surprised at the DOJ too because you would think they would want to hold Party up as an example to say, hey, here's what happens when you play ball with us and when you don't, we're going to fuck you. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I guess the short memory or that buyout was big enough that yeah, they're like, okay, you paid us seven hundred fifty million bucks. Okay, we'll we'll uh, consider you played ball with us too. That's probably the way they're yeah. thinking. All right, mm-hmm. so I, I guess they don't give a crap about party poker or any of the other gambling sites. So one more thing, sort of about poker stars, not directly about them, but indirectly, and this might be a little bit disturbing for. People who have moved to Mexico, including our very own Marty Judonk Tide, whatever you want to call him, be on the show next week. He'll be on the show on a historic day, possibly, for Mexico and online poker. He'll be on the show September 9th. Well, coincidentally, on that day, September 9th, Mexico is going to be introducing a bill to regulate online poker there. And it's worse than it sounds. Fernando Zarate Salgado, who is the president of the Mexican Gaming Commission, has announced that a new gaming bill will be presented to the House of Representatives, that's the Mexican House of Representatives, on September 9th. And uh, he thinks it's going to be approved on, by September 20th, so pretty fast. There are no existing laws revolving around online gaming. They have not uh, written any new laws regarding gambling since 1947, and obviously there was no internet in 1947. But uh, in the new bill, they are going to address online gambling, including online poker. And even though uh, originally, last May, they 
were trying to uh, propose that only Mexican operators would be able to offer games in the country. It's thought that it's not going to be that restrictive, but there will be a licensing process to be able to operate in Mexico, and there will be new gaming taxes on online poker. So it's not clear what's going to happen to people who are playing on poker stars that move to Mexico to do that because they can't do it in the U.S. anymore. Uh, A lot of people, especially those who were in California, just hopped over the border to places like Rosarito and are playing there now. But uh, it's not clear what's going to happen to sites like PokerStars. It's possible that this new law will not allow sites like like PokerStars to get legalized. Maybe they will, maybe they they won't. And... uh, I doubt it. I mean, this just seems like a cash grab, to be honest. They they want their fees and their taxes, and PokerStars is going to pay it. And I, I mean, you know, they might be shut out for a month or whatever, but I can't see. Uh, I can't see them denying them in the long run. Well, so here's the question, though: It depends how much this law has to do with existing companies in Mexico that want in on the business, because just like we were discussing, PokerStars is going to crush all these other sites in New Jersey because they have the better software, so will be the same in Mexico. So there's the fear that PokerStars will be shut out to allow the Mexican companies to thrive in some way. And uh, that's what there's some fear about. But it's also... It's not necessarily a done deal either. Like, nobody knows right now what the new laws are going to say. And it will be known very soon, probably by September 20th, whether... Poker stars will be shut out of the Mexican market. It is possible they just want poker stars to cough up a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will see. And the only good news is that you won't have to hop up and get out of Mexico if you're there to play online poker on poker stars. Usually the implementation period is 180 days in Mexico for new legislation. So. It's probably about six months until these new regulations will take effect, which means you probably have until at least March to continue playing on Poker Stars there. But maybe not past that. So we will cover this on a future show. But I would not be signing any year leases in Mexico just yet, unless you're like Marty and don't mind breaking the lease and skipping out. So that's what's happening there. Well, this one's not about poker stars, it's about New Jersey. There are problems in New Jersey that, uh, well, it's actually more about Massachusetts than, than New Jersey. New Jersey, a lot of casinos are closing. There's a lot of failures going on in Atlantic City of existing casinos. And this is impacting Massachusetts, which seem to be really pushing toward online gaming, not online gaming, uh, casino gaming, and maybe online gaming in the future. Uh, You might remember a story we covered on this show where there is one license to be given out in the Boston area, and Caesars was very much pushing for it, which I I hoped they were going to get it, because then I would have had a place I could stay for free in that area, in the New, New England area, which would have been nice, but they didn't get it because... 
this company that was building the new Cromwell Casino, taking over for Bill's Gambling Hall in Las Vegas, right across from Caesars. They were called uh, Gansevoort. They were apparently in business with a Russian mobster. So Mm -hmm. even though Caesars was not directly in business with the Russian mobster, they were in business with a company that was somewhat controlled by a Russian mobster or affiliated with him. And uh, that looked awful. So Caesars was basically kicked out and that was that. And they they were told they were not going to get their license and they withdrew. Well, it turns out this may end up being a moot point. And by the way, there's plenty of lawsuits about that right now. But it may end up being a moot point because now there is a lot of anti-gambling push in Massachusetts. Uh, Before, the people were generally in favor of casino gambling coming to Massachusetts because it was seen as a big revenue source and it was seen like as a can't miss uh, proposition that casinos make so much money they all do so well it's going to make so much money for the state of massachusetts why not well they've seen all these casinos fail in nearby new jersey so all of a sudden they're saying crap maybe this isn't a good idea after all maybe the bad things that gambling will bring to our state will outweigh the good so now there's uh, a referendum on this year's ballot in Massachusetts in November to repeal the referendum that was passed in 2011 regarding giving three casino licenses three casino licenses to Massachusetts so uh, there were going to be three casinos in Massachusetts one of those being the one I just described in the Boston area and now it's looking like uh, it's possible that these licenses will be taken away. And uh, it's going to be close. They're polling right now, the likely voters, and at one point it looked like this was going to get clobbered and that the licenses would remain. But uh, the anti-gambling forces have really closed the gap, and it's getting very close. Right now it's slightly ahead to keep the casinos, but... Not by much, and the momentum is definitely working in the way of the anti-gambling people, and we still have two months till the election. Uh, So we will see. It's very possible that casino gambling will not be coming to Massachusetts. Uh, In that uh, Boston area, it's a suburb called Everett. It's the Wynn who is going to be building a $1.6 billion casino complex. That was what Caesars was going for. And uh, now the win is actually asking that uh, their license will be held up. They actually want their own license held up until uh, after November because they don't even want it if it's, uh, it's going to be taken away from them. So... This is going to be uh, delaying things, and and we will see. So, or I'm sorry, I, I, I got something a little bit wrong here. I should correct myself. It's not the win who's asking them to delay. It's actually an MGM casino that's for Springfield, Massachusetts, that wants it to delay giving them the license until uh, uh, the November vote. You might wonder why delay getting the license. Well, because as soon as they get the license, they have to start paying for it. So they don't want to pay for a license and then never get to use it. 
Mm. So we will see what happens here. Now, uh, Daredevil, I don't even know where you're from. I'm in uh, Vancouver, BC, Canada. Okay, okay. So you're nowhere near there either. I was just no, in. Fa- I, was just I have in been Vancouver. there, but did you know I was just there? Yeah, I heard uh, on the show you mentioned that uh, you were here with your uh, family, right? Yes, yeah, I was. And family uh, vacation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you ever gone to the fireworks at uh, Bouchard Gardens in Victoria? Uh, I've been to Bouchard Gardens, not. Not to see fireworks, but to the actual gardens, yeah. Yes, I don't know if you like fireworks, but if you do, uh, I really recommend you go there on a Saturday night. I I think they may have one or two left in the summer. It's only during the summer on Saturday nights, but that was the most amazing fireworks show I've seen in my life by a wide margin. It was an excellent show. Yeah, the island in general is really nice, actually. Uh, A little bit slow. You know, there's not that much to do there past a certain time, but... uh, uh, just really nice place. Yeah. What what I did is uh, I was there, I came in on a f- late Friday night, and then uh, on Saturday morning we took the ferry over to Victoria, which is an island off of Vancouver. For those of you that don't know, and uh, yeah, saw some things there. Went to the Bouchard Gardens at night and saw the fireworks, which were really great. And uh, then we took the ferry back the next day and you know, saw Vancouver itself on Sunday. And uh, then we got on our cruise leaving from Vancouver on Monday morning. So we weren't there that long. Uh, you know what Benjamin loves that we cannot get in the U.S. are Kinder Eggs. Oh, really? Oh, that's right. They banned them because uh, choking or something, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to have any items inside hidden inside of food. So oh, okay. You're allowed right. to put uh, items <laughs> like in a, in a cereal box as a prize, but it cannot be like inside food where you have to bite into the food. And uh, Somehow fortune cookies are exempt, I guess, because uh, – Paper is mm. not dangerous, even if you swallow it. But uh, right. you can't have any kind of solid items inside food in the United States. But Benjamin loves those things. So when we go to Canada, we like buy as many of those as we can and then bring them back. And uh, the thing is, I, I think we're going to be in Canada one more time, like next year. But after that, we're probably not going to be back for a while. So he'll have to do without them. But uh, You have to go to Costco and buy a crate. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is getting them back, though, to the to the U.S. So, like, uh, mm. so and they get damaged really easily. They they break really really easily. Those candy. You weren't uh, you weren't mule in those, were you, Druff? <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, it's interesting that the anti gambling forces have been successful in changing people's minds in Massachusetts. And some of you may say, okay, well, I don't live in or near Massachusetts, so why do I give a crap? Well, you should give a crap because this might affect the legalization of online poker. If the anti-gambling forces are succeeding in Massachusetts, they might succeed elsewhere when it comes to online poker. Maybe all the scare tactics about gambling and casinos, and maybe that's starting to get into people's heads. Maybe... Gambling is starting to be looked at more unfavorably than before in the United States. So I, I really didn't like seeing this. And and also just on a personal note, I just I really hope to see a Caesars casino somewhere in Massachusetts so I can travel there and uh, stay in those hotels for free and then kind of use it as a base to move on somewhere else on like a New England-type road trip. We'll have the pro – gambling entities spent any money in that area yet or i don't know that hasn't really been described in the articles i've read 
but they are slightly ahead still on this one. And uh, if it gets repealed, that'll be pretty bad. And I think it's going to really uh, put a damper on any kind of expansion of uh, casino gambling. It is possible that the casino gambling market is getting saturated. There's a lot of indie casinos that have grown very large, like Foxwoods and other ones. So, like, that's the reason a lot of these casinos in New Jersey are fa- are failing is that they used to be the only option for people on the East Coast to gamble within a reasonable distance. And mm-hmm. now there's a lot more options, and a lot more states are finding ways to start up casinos. And yeah. Well, AC as well, it really, they never quite went the Vegas route of diversification. It seemed like they were just solidly based on, let's get people here to gamble. And I think when that's the only attraction that that can't hold, or at least hold that many properties forever. I mean, Vegas figured out a long time ago, let's give them shows and shopping and restaurants and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think, I think AC was kind of stuck in the old way of thinking that, you know, let's just get them here and get them gambling. It doesn't seem to be working anymore for them. You know, I agree. And I also, I, I thought that they had some flawed thinking like, I noticed the parking situation there. If you want to park oh, yeah. in an AC yeah. casino, it can be like 20 bucks unless you have yeah. a, a card where you've already gambled a lot and earned a high tier. That really turns people off. Like, hey, I want to come to the casino and gamble a little bit. Oh, it's 20 bucks to park there. Never mind. I like, like, it totally drives people away. They, they've got to get away from that thinking. The reason they charge it is because they're afraid people are going to use them for free parking for the boardwalk. But okay, so people use you for free parking for the boardwalk. Kind of sucks, but you have to deal with that. You always have to deal with that. Vegas has a lot of people that use their lots and then walk somewhere else and don't ever patronize the place. But that's that's just part of mm-hmm. doing business. You can't expect to right. make money from every single customer that walks through your doors when you're of that size. So uh, Atlantic City has to drop this obsession with the parking. And they, they really seem like they haven't adjusted, as you said. So – yeah, it's a shock too. If you don't, li- I guess people who live in the area, that's the norm. But like, I remember going out there on a road trip, and I had only been to Vegas, and we parked the car, and it was like fifteen bucks. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's just, I don't know. Especially, it, you would think they're making so much money off every other aspect. I mean, running parking as a loss leader seems like the biggest no brainer. But yeah, now here's some chat. Here's some comments in the chat room. S double is mocking me for wanting a free place to stay he says you're such a fucking jew uh <laughs> benford saying that uh, having a fear of atlantic city's failure is a bad mistake because it's a small city while boston is huge apples to oranges atlantic city is too reliant on outside feeder markets and yeah it's true that boston mm-hmm. uh, is a much bigger market but uh people are afraid people are afraid it's gonna not make much money and bring in the bad elements that gambling can bring uh, I have uh, I have something to tell people here. I have an update. Not a really good news. Oh. It always comes out so loud. It's always so loud. And I just blow people's ears out. I apologize for that. But uh, apparently Daniel Coleman has won the 2014 Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, the one with a big overlay. So oh. 
He's continuing to roll on even though poker is evil and he doesn't care about it and everything else. Yeah. So not the guy I was rooting for and you know he hates uh Well, he's, he's got money to make more shirts now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. He can uh, he can wear a lot more shirts about supporting Palestine and Hamas. So, uh, yeah. all right. Anyway, uh in the chat room, hockey guy saying Ben loves whitewater rafting. Okay, now I got to tell this story because, <laughs> because hockey guy is bringing this up. People gave me a hard time on the forum for telling about talking about this story, but yeah. I'm going to tell it anyway because it's near the end of the show. All of you have had bad dreams at some point. Some of you get a lot of bad dreams. I took a nap last week, and I had what started out as an okay dream and turned into a very, very bad dream. I don't have many dreams where something bad happens to my son, Benjamin. Fortunately, I don't. Fortunately, most of my bad dreams are something bad happening to me. But uh, I did have a dream like this last week. And I went on a river in this dream in like what kind of looked like an inner tube, except it had a bottom to it, but it's like a small circular raft. And I was by myself, and then right behind me there was some woman and her eight-year-old son who I didn't know, and then behind them was Benjamin's mom and Benjamin. We were on this raft, and it was in the state of Alaska where we had actually just been a few weeks ago. That's obviously what inspired the dream. We were going down this river to look at glaciers, and we actually saw some in the dream, and it was very nice and, you know, very peaceful, and glaciers were beautiful. started out as a pretty good dream. Then I started to notice that, like, when I would drift from side to side in the river, which was pretty narrow, that my raft would spin really fast. And I was worried if it spun too fast, it could throw Benjamin out of there. I was a little worried for him. But still, the river was calm, and I thought it wasn't a big deal. But then I looked behind me about what seemed like about a minute or two later. And I saw that the mom and her eight-year-old son had fallen out of the raft and were now like floating down the river. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, this is pretty bad for them. It's got to be cold water. And I started worrying, hey, what if this happens to Benjamin? Then I look forward and I see these huge rapids ahead of me. Huge rapids that look super dangerous, that look like they're going to throw him out, and probably me out for sure. And I was going to be the one getting to them first. So I got to them first, and they were so big that my raft fell down like four feet, and then bumped around in the rapids, and I almost fell out but didn't. But I knew by the time Benjamin reached that point, he was going to fly right out of there. And I was in a panic, and I thought, what an idiot I am. Why did I take Benjamin on this trip? Why didn't I look into it? Why didn't I see that this thing has rapids later on? Why didn't I realize how dangerous it was? And I thought, seriously, I thought my son was going to die and it was going to be my fault for taking him on this trip. And I thought this was totally real. So this was really, really traumatic for me. And now I'm just sitting there waiting for them to, well, first I'm trying to keep myself afloat at all because it's bumping me around everywhere. And then I'm also waiting for the moment that they get there. And they were probably seconds away from reaching there when I heard my phone ring. I heard my cell phone ring. And I thought, that's weird. 
this doesn't even sound like my like I thought I had my cell phone in my pocket, but it sounded like it was further away from me. I'm saying, what's my cell phone doing over there? Then it rings again, and I realized it was really my cell phone ringing next to my bed, and I realized I was dreaming. And I woke up and I reached out, picked up my cell phone and answered, and I heard, "Hello, this is Jennifer calling from Caesars," and it was a te- it was like a marketing call from Caesars. So. Caesars finally did a good thing for me and at that perfect moment knocked me out of that dream and I didn't have to see Benjamin fall out of that raft. Now some people said in that thread when criticizing me that this would have happened anyway. I would have woken up because many times in dreams, in fact most of the time, just as something awful is about to happen, you wake up. Like let's say you fall off a cliff and you're you're going all the way down like Wild E. Coyote, you don't smack the ground. You usually wake up right the moment before you smack the ground. Or someone's going to shoot you, you know, you wake up right before they pull the trigger, something like that. But it's a little bit different when you're watching something bad happening to someone else. And keep in mind, I totally felt this was real. So for me, this was, was just really traumatic, but I was actually happy when I woke up I was still kind of shaken, but I was happy because I knew Caesars had shaken me out of the dream. The Caesars actually knocked me out of the dream before I had to see that. And I thought, you know, I criticize Caesars a lot, but for once they did me some good. Apparently we have results in tonight's big free roll. Hockey Guy and Snow Tracks apparently have chopped it. So congratulations to them. That's the $90 first prize. The prize is remembered $90 for first and uh, 25 for second. Big drop-off there, so no wonder they chopped it. Uh, 15 for third and uh, 10 for fourth and then 5 for knocking out Poker Prince 2. So I guess they're chopping it. They'll each get 62, or sorry, 52, or no, no, 6250. No, wrong. I can't do math here. Fifty-seven fifty. Half of one hundred fifteen. Fifty-seven fifty. They're getting. Um, Benford asking the chat room: Did Caesars offer me a free whitewater rafting trip over the phone? <laughs> yeah. Well, if they did, I probably could have accepted it because they never want you to bring any minors on any things they offer. So. If they did offer me that, they probably would have said me and one other adult. And I would have said, okay, as long as my son can't come. In the chat room, we're also seeing uh, Daniel Coleman passed Phil Ivey on the all-time money list, even though obviously Ivey had all of himself most of the time, and Coleman just uh, got a few high rollers playing for a portion of himself. Yeah, I think these all-time money lists are really not that meaningful anymore because people are entering these million dollar buy-in events I mean it's just not accurate anymore like theoretically you could have some super super rich guys enter a hundred million dollar buy-in event and then the winner would automatically be the overwhelming all-time money leader in poker but that wouldn't make him anything special that just make him rich so uh, it doesn't mean much anymore Edward Teach asking in chat Druff did you piss your bed no Fortunately, no. I'll tell you, I don't actually have many physical reactions to bad dreams. I never wake up 
having something like pissing my bed or whatever, I just uh, I just wake up kind of traumatized from some of these dreams. I get a lot fewer bad dreams from uh, you know compared to when I was younger. When I was very young, from ages uh, like four to ten, I had recurring, very frequent, terrible, violent nightmares. Really, really bad. Really, really bad. And once they were so bad that if I had them now, they'd scare me. And and some somehow I got through them without becoming like a serial killer. I don't know how. And I didn't even tell my parents about it when it was happening. I didn't say a damn thing to my parents. They just kind of dealt with it and said, oh, well, that's just what happens. Salinmar mentioning in chat that Vin Scully, who's almost 87 years old, broadcasted five hours and 34 minutes today for the Dodgers game. I watched that game, unfortunately. It was a game that began at, uh, I think, like 12.10 in the afternoon. And they went 14 innings, a wild game where they had a 2 nothing lead in the ninth, blew the lead, went down 3-2. to two. Uh, With two outs, they tied the game. And... Uh, thanks to a Jason Worth error in right field. Then in the 12th, or then the Dodgers had bases loaded in the 10th and 11th, just needed one run to walk off, couldn't get it either time. They're awful with the bases loaded this year, absolutely terrible. Like they're hitting like 160 with the bases loaded. Uh, could not score the 10th or 11th with bases loaded. In the 12th, the Nationals scored two runs. The Dodgers looked like they were dead in the water. Carl Crawford comes up and hits a two-run homer to tie the game 5-5 in the 12th. And then the Dodgers lose anyway in the 14th. So, a few mistakes there by Don Mattingly. Just very frustrating game to watch. Very frustrating game. Beer and Poker mentioning that the A's are crashing pretty badly. Yeah, and the Angels are super hot. Uh, Giants holding on a lot stronger than I expected. So... I think they're going to be fighting it out with the Dodgers all the way to the end. And uh, I know Jay Stat's happy about that. He's the big Giants fan. So uh, we'll see. We will see. Uh, the Dodgers have an amazingly bad problem with hitting with the bases loaded. And they also have to stop running out guys like Jamie Wright in tie games and extra innings. Jamie Wright was never good, and now he's like almost 40. So that's not the guy I want to see out there in the 10th or 11th inning. He's not even the one who lost today, though. Anyway, uh, time for the editorial. I had a discussion with someone recently about perks. Let me give you a little background. I was at Caesars over Labor Day weekend, and... um, I went with Benjamin and Benjamin's mom to the Bacchanal Buffet on Sunday. The Bacchanal Buffet is the fairly new buffet at Caesars. It's very expensive. It's $54 to get into this thing. Ends up almost 60 after tax if you're not using uh, reward credits or comps. A very, very expensive buffet. It's a very good buffet. I'm not a buffet person. I never like buffets, but uh, I will say the Bacchanal Buffet, if you're going to go to any buffets... And if you don't like buffets and you've got to go to one, that, that should be it. That's, it's really 
far and away the best of all the buffets I've eaten. And I went there, and I know S Double's going to call me a Jew again, but I went there because I had a promotion where I could get in for $30 each instead of 54 That's <laughs> the truth. I, I wouldn't have gone for 54 but I, I went for 30 and I, I used my reward credits. So, uh, And Benjamin was free because of his age. So... One problem with the Bacchanal Buffet is it's very, very popular, and especially during the weekend, and especially on a holiday weekend, there is a horrible, horrible line to get in. We didn't even go during a prime hour. We went, we went at uh, about 2 o'clock, and at 2 o'clock there was an, a line that was so long, it must have been like an hour or more. We did not stand in that line. How long did we stand in line? Well, I'll let you think about it for a second, but the amount of time... We stood in line. I will uh, tell you right here. Zero point zero. Yeah, that's how long we spent in line. So how did we spend 0.0 minutes in line when others spent over an hour? Well, it's because they have various lines depending upon your tier status at Caesar's property. So if you don't have any status, or if you're gold or platinum, you're stuck standing in the regular line. If you're diamond, you get a priority line. And if you're seven stars, you get a super priority line that is usually totally empty and you just get to breeze past everyone. And I admit it felt a little bit strange walking past these people who've been standing for an hour and just walk right in. I'm sure some of them didn't like it very much, but uh, I did it because... I have a seven stars card. I earned the seven stars card. It's a benefit that I'm entitled to. Did I feel guilty about it? No, I did not feel guilty about it. Uh, But before you think I'm a jerk for not feeling guilty about it, I also don't feel resentful when other people get priority over me that they have earned. I'll give an example. I stayed at the Monte Carlo Hotel uh, earlier in the summer. Wouldn't recommend it, by the way, but I stayed there for two days. And I don't have any status over there. So... I had to stand in a check-in line that was like 45 minutes, and it sucked, and I didn't enjoy it, and I had to like, you know, drag my luggage behind me as I'm moving up in the line, and I'm by myself too. It's like it's a pain in the ass. But you know, did I get pissed off that people with higher status cards than me got to walk right in and check in, you know, way ahead of me, or that I'd been waiting 45 minutes and someone who just walked through the door got to check in in front of me? No, I was I, I was not happy to see those people show up because I knew it'd be one more person I'd have to wait for. But I was not resentful towards them. I didn't feel that uh, you know they shouldn't be doing it. I wasn't angry at them. Why? Because they had earned it and I had not. So I felt that they had a right to it and I did not. So the reason for this editorial is I had a discussion with someone recently who was also a seven stars at uh, Caesars who was insisting that he would never do what I did for the Bacchanal Buffet that if he saw a line like that, that he would either wait in that hour line or go somewhere else, that he would never use that seven stars line to get right in. And was telling me that it's wrong, that you shouldn't have to do that, that I'm no better than anyone else and I shouldn't be able to cut in line in front of them. My response to him was that I'm not cutting, that at every business, or most businesses at least, if you're one of their best customers, you will always get some kind of perk. And they do that to reward their best customers, to reward the ones who make them the most money. Uh, If you're going to say that you shouldn't have a line that you can 
breezed by everybody if you were a higher status at that property, then maybe there shouldn't be first-class seats on flights. Or maybe there shouldn't be nicer hotel rooms than others. Or maybe people shouldn't drive nicer cars than others. Or you know, the list goes on and on and on. The thing is, in life, having more money gets you more things. Spending more money at a certain business will get you more things than someone who spends less money, regardless of how much money each person actually has. And if you have earned perks at a business, you shouldn't feel guilty about using them. Now, I'm not saying to be hardline or an asshole about it. Like, for example, uh, if there's one family in line with young children and they don't have any kind of status and you're seven-star status and you know, you're in line for a restaurant and you see the kids are restless, uh, it'd be a nice thing to say to the family, hey, I can go ahead of you, but uh, I see you've got a lot more to deal with, so go ahead of me. I'll wait. That's a nice thing to do and that's the right thing to do. Uh, but you can't do that if it's a big line. You can't pick and choose in that big line who gets to go in ahead and who doesn't. So in that case, when there is any kind of line uh, beyond like you know one or two people, uh, at that point you have to make the decision either I'm going to stand with everyone or go through my priority line that I've earned. I feel that if you've earned it through patronizing that business, you should not feel guilty with using it. You should not feel guilty for any perks you get that are based upon money that you've spent there. Now, it's a little bit of a different story if you're getting some kind of perk that you don't deserve, such as, let's say I had a friend who worked at the Bacchanal Buffet, but I didn't have any kind of card at Caesars that was above anybody else. Let's say I was a gold card just like everybody else in line. But I had a buddy who worked at the Bacchanal Buffet, and he said, hey, I can sneak you through the Seven Stars line because uh, you know I work here and they won't question me. Well... A lot of people would do it, and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you do it, but at the same time, I can understand feeling guilty about that because you are cutting in line and you are getting something you're not entitled to. Uh, You're just uh, letting someone sneak you through who has the authority to do so, but you haven't actually earned that. But when you've earned something, you shouldn't feel guilty about getting better than those who have not earned it, and it doesn't make you a better person or a more special person than them. It just means that that particular business, you have spent enough money there to where now you're entitled to these things. And if you think that's wrong, then perhaps you shouldn't be living in a capitalistic society like the United States, because I guarantee even if you want to do the what you call the noble gesture and stand in line, that there's many other things in life where you're getting better than the average person and not feeling guilty about it. You should never sit in better seats at the ballpark. You should... Uh, Never drive in the toll lane on the freeway while everyone else uh, sits in traffic. I can make a long list of things that you do that you get to do for convenience or a perk you get because you're spending more money. And unless you want to pass up on all of those, you shouldn't feel guilty about redeeming them, even if it feels funny walking past people in line. So... That is my feeling on that. Daredevil, what is your feeling on that? Yeah, I agree. Actually, I had the opposite issue last time I was in Vegas. Um, I'm able to jump the line at the MGM buffets, and I was upset because there was nobody to jump. Because, (laughs) frankly, the amount of money I lost in the casino to get that level I was like, God damn it, can't I even get past somebody here? That is funny. Like, like, I, I can totally understand that form of thinking, too. Like, you you've earned something and then you really, really want to use it. And even if uh, not using it basically gets you the same thing, 
you know how I kind of feel about too. Like when I do stand in a line and I stand for a long time, let's say half an hour passes and nobody gets behind me. And then I get mm-hmm. to the front of the line and uh, there's still nobody behind me. And then someone shows up right behind me at that point. And so they wait like two minutes and I waited 30 just because of the times we showed up. It, it kind of pisses me off. Like I don't resent the person because they just, you know, lucked out and nothing they did that was wrong. But it kind of pisses me off like, damn, why couldn't I have shown up 30 minutes later? Or like why couldn't the line have at least gotten really big behind me so I'd feel good that I showed up at a good time? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I just kind of um, – and don't get me wrong, I don't like, resent the people behind me who get to wait less. I just, uh, I, I can understand, though, wanting to feel like you're getting something out of these perks. And if you get nothing, then, you know, what's the use? Yeah. And trust me, to anyone who's seeing people pass them in the line, most of those people, uh, you don't want to pay what they paid to get past you in the line. So Yeah, that's that's true. And one other thing, the people you're passing that may be glaring at you angrily, uh do you think if they had the same card you would that they wouldn't do the same thing? Do you think they would get behind you and say, no, 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 I'm not going to use that priority line? Of course they'd use it. Of course they would use it. They would do the exact same thing in your spot. They're just annoyed that they can't. So, uh, and, and I'm not doing this segment to brag or anything. That's why I threw in that Monte Carlo thing that I was on the total reverse end of that where I had to wait in the long line. I saw people going ahead of me. But I didn't get pissed. I, I, the only thing I was thinking is, wow, this is kind of a change for me because I almost always go to Caesars Properties where I never have to wait like this. And it's kind of a weird feeling to be in Vegas and have to wait in a check-in line. I haven't had to do this in a long time. Because first I, you know, I, I lived there, and then, and then I have a, after that I have a Seven Stars card and don't have to wait in these lines. So it, it was kind of a weird feeling at the Monte Carlo. But at the same time, I'm like, well, but that's normal. That's standard. That's what I should be doing. So... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I actually feel the opposite if I go to a Caesars property because I think, thank God, I haven't blown enough money here that I don't get to pass these people in line. So. <laughs> yeah, by the way, if anybody uh, wants to avoid resort fees at Caesars properties, uh, you may want to consider getting the total rewards visa. There's no fee. You can look at the – I created a thread in the uh, poker and blackjack strategy forum, which I know it doesn't quite fall under that category. But basically any tips for Vegas – in general, especially Caesar's properties, which I know a lot about. Uh, if you go to the poker and blackjack strategy section, you'll see a lot of stuff like that. I might actually break off the Vegas stuff from there. I, I hate creating too many like low-traffic forums on Poker Fraud Alert because we have like our one main forum, Flying Stupidity, where everyone is posting regularly. Then we have the Scam Scandals and Shadiness, which is slow-moving but you know gets some posts. And then, then we have our really slow forums. Like if I scroll down the front page of the poker and blackjack strategy i see threads that actually had their last post in 2012 so like it's definitely not a fast-moving forum but at the same time i think people don't realize to go to that forum to see tips about like the total rewards program and mm-hmm. things like that actually i had a question for you about that druff yeah um i don't know if this has been addressed because i haven't seen the that post recently but i heard that with that credit card that only allows you to opt out, meaning you don't pay for the resort fee, but you also don't get the amenities. Huh. So you you are able to opt out, but you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have access to the gym, That's a good et cetera, question. et cetera. I, didn't, I did not think of that. But I'll tell you this. Um, the resort fee really gets you crap. Uh, you oh, yeah, I agree. I still think it's worth it. Um, and, you know, I get offers from TI – and part of the offer is you can do just that opt out of the resort fee. So you don't pay it, but you don't get what comes with it. But yeah. it's such a ripoff. 
it's it's still a good offer to opt out of it. Yeah, right. The only thing that's worthwhile that you get at that uh, resort fee, unless you really like going to the gym, which most people don't bother when they go to Vegas, uh, mm-hmm. it's is the internet. But still, you only connect like two devices. Period. So like that's it. And yeah. uh, uh, I think you could buy the internet anyway. Like. You can a la carte, 14, yeah. fourteen ninety nine per device, or you could just uh, tether your phone. There's a lot of ways to get internet otherwise. So, uh, but I I didn't know it's an opt out. I thought it was actually to get the resort fee free. Like as a seven star, I know you get it just for free. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, well that's that's what I've heard. I can't. Oh, you I, might I don't have right. that credit card. I don't even think it's available in this country. But uh, yeah, that's the way I understand. Yeah, it, it might be right. It might be right. It's a good point you threw up there. But it's still a good thing to do. And. Yep. People have to understand resort fees, for the most part, are a way for the casino to hide the tr- – not the casino, any – like so many hotels are doing this now, not just casinos. But it's a way for them to hide their actual rate. And when you use internet search engines and say, show me the lowest price places, yep. then this way they come up first under cheapest. So you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize uh, the Rio was this cheap. Oh, I didn't realize that uh, Paris was this cheap. And you see they're cheaper than competition – that and these are better properties, so you go. Wait a minute, why not take the better place that's cheaper? And then you get there and you find out the bad news that there's a really high resort fee of over twenty bucks. That had you added the resort fees in, uh, you're actually paying more money. So this is a really uh, it's it's like a scam. I mean, it really shouldn't be allowed. It, it should. Never oh yeah, be- it definitely is a scam. Also, the the other thing is, I'd say you know, vote with your wallet, stay somewhere where there isn't a resort fee, but that pretty much isn't an option. Yeah, in Vegas it's not. It's only like no. really crappy places that don't have a resort fee. Every Caesars actually didn't have it for a while and yeah. was uh, yeah. really promoting that they didn't. And then they realized, wait a minute, we're just like falling behind on all the search engines. Up, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, call you on the air. Hey, Todd, it's Marty. Uh, hang on, Marty. We're going to put on uh, the. Oh, I, I answered the phone <laughs> the wrong way. Hang on a second. Hold on a second. Okay, I'm going to connect our co-host back on I, I screwed up i was so excited to answer this phone call <laughs> that i screwed up and i disconnected our co-host so let me put him back what? on yeah i disconnected the co-host but he's coming back oh yeah sorry but i disconnected you so uh your idea from earlier has come to fruition uh, we have marty on the phone oh hey marty so marty what's going on here i don't know who else is on the phone that's uh, daredevil the tonight's uh, co-host I have no idea who that is. Okay, well, he was actually – he made a nice offer, Marty. I actually declined it, but he made an offer that even though he was on tap to co-host tonight first, and that's why I had to delay you to the uh-huh. ninth, that he was willing to have you on anyway as as another co-host. And really? Said, really? Well, that's that's uh, very nice to him to and indulge me. I'm, I'm glad that he was willing to have me on for – I have no idea who Daredevil is. By the way, uh, what the hell is that woman's problem before – Oh, you mean uh, Lynn Wischnick? Yeah, what the hell, man? You wasted all this time with that that lady. No, well, I, I know some people didn't like the segment. I know some people didn't like the segment, but uh, my God, you had fuck, you had fucking infinite people begging you to get her off the air. Uh, I, I thought it was a I thought it was a worthwhile segment. I realized it wasn't popular with some people, but fortunately, most of the segments I do on this show, uh, you know, I, I try to tailor them toward what I think that the majority of the public wants. So occasionally if one goes through there that isn't a hit, that's the way it goes. But uh, yeah. uh, anyway, it, it didn't last that long. You know, I got uh, 
I got my questions out. That's fine. You, you know, you, you know, you're you're polite. You're uh, diplomatic as usual. Um, um, very nice job. So, uh, you know, we're not uh, we're not broadcasting a show here for millions of Americans. So, um, um, so I feel pretty comfortable being myself here. So, how the hell are you? Well, you know, it's it's pretty much the same these days, Marty. And uh, you know. Uh, how are you at the moment? First of all, I want to know: Are you drinking at the moment? I'm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but, I can tell. But I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually really good, though. <laughs> okay, I, can, um, I, I hope yeah, next, Drew, next week. No, though, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you because uh, you know you've turned it around. You used to be a real fucking prick, but you're not no. as big of a prick <laughs> as you used to be. No, I mean honestly, I mean I wouldn't be calling your show and uh, posting on your site. If I didn't think that you hadn't uh, kind of turned around a little bit, you know, you, you know, you were uh, historically a major fucking asshole, but uh, you know, you've uh, you've actually done a nice job of uh, turning uh, turning it around. Well, I, so, have to, um, I have to say, this is like the no, ul- I, I, this is like the ultimate I'm, I'm, backhanded compliment. I'm a really a, a tough judge of human character. You know, I just want people to be the best they can be, right? So, you know, you, you've done a nice job of uh, becoming less of a fucking asshole. <laughs> okay, Marty. Well, look, I yeah. no, I, and I mean, and I mean that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man. You know, you you have historically been a major prick, but uh, you know, you know, in, over the last uh, I can't believe you're co-hosting so, this guy with, with this guy next no, week. No, you've you've actually done a nice job. Uh, Solidifying your uh, reputation, and uh, um, I don't know. I don't hate you as much as I used to. Well, that, that's that's good, Marty. Look, this, this is this is what I've been trying no, to do. I... No, what I've been trying to do here, Marty, is that I, I'm trying to uh, you know get the stress out of my life. I, I'm trying to you know not get in in uh, as many internet forum fights and stuff like that. It's it's, it's not worth it, and uh, so that's why. I just want to I want to have fun with this site and with this radio show and not have stress from it and that's and that's what you've seen recently and that's why there's even a lot of people like yourself who come back to the forum and and even you can come out on radio and call me a fucking asshole or a fucking prick sorry <laughs> Anyway, I'm impressed. You okay. did a you did a nice turnaround. Okay, well Marty, I I want you to turn around next week and not be drunk before the show. We, no, we no, have, no. It's it's cool. We can't have uh, three oh, hours of drunk Marty. That won't work. Is this the, is this the unofficial announcement now that we're co-hosting next week? Yeah, no. I've already announced it uh, earlier in the show. But Marty, I, I just got to say, next week you have to don't be worry. sober. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will not be all fucking drunk as shit. Yeah, you have to be sober next. It won't work. Three hours of drunk, uh, drunk I will, radio. I will be sober. I promise. Okay. I hope so. I'm taking a I'm taking a chance well, here. Se- by... Semi semi sober. Uh, I can't I can't promise a. a, a Zero point zero blood alcohol level, but I'll be close. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm, hey, not sure so, uh, I, I'm not sure if I announced the hats thing yet. I'm going to be shipping out the hats tomorrow. At least that's what it looks like. So you guys will get them very soon. Sorry for all the delays, but they're coming. And I've it, uh, Richard Brody's come over. What a fucking jerk off! Who is that guy? I don't know. It's just, God, you have some really bad trolls, man. You're some really bad trolls that are totally fucking up your whole forum. No, fucking... Marty, you have to understand that uh, 
you have uh, drawn a lot of attention to yourself, and therefore you do get uh, a number of people who uh, who want to talk back to you, and that's that's to be expected. Sorry, fuck. Sorry, motherfuckers, man. Sorry, motherfuckers with no lives of their own. Hello, uh, I'm sorry my life is more interesting than you, motherfucker. Living in a, a little uh, a trailer park in suburban America. Okay, so Marty, where are you right now? You're in, you're in uh, Ensenada right now, Who is right? that guy, anyway? I don't know. Let's where forget about him, where, though. Where are these people? Let's talk about you here. Are you in Ensenada, Mexico right now? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am in Ensenada, Mexico. And do you live by the beach there? Where exactly do you live? Like, not specifically. Uh, I do. But... I do. I'm, I'm literally, like, about 30 seconds from some really awesome beach right now. Do you have a view of the beach? I do. Hmm. I have a view of my kitchen and a view of my bedroom. It's wonderful. I see, and uh, uh, no, no, I'm not in my mom's basement. Well, so the, the question I think everybody is wondering though: uh, Do you think you're going to be in Ensenada for a long time now, or are you going to be no, moving no, again? No, in a few no, 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 no. This is just kind of a um, stopping ground. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be living here for the rest of my life. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a well-traveled guy. I just, uh, I'm just taking a break. I mean, um, I don't know. Just taking a break. It's nice weather, and uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I'm not going to be living here in, Mex- in Ensenada for the rest of my life. No, the answer is no. Now, Marty, you're going to be I'm having be- a, a birthday pretty soon, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, you're going to be 50 years old, and uh, what are you going to pretty, do for your 50th birthday? Pretty soon. Pretty soon. What will you be doing for your birthday? Do you know yet? I'm probably getting completely demoralized, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think uh, 50 is a milestone, yeah? Yeah. Well, you know, I just had uh, 40 about two and a half years ago. And, uh, Marty, I'll I'm tell you, 40. if you're if you're in uh... – you're, you're a fucking punk kid, man. Well, okay, I, was, you... I, was ta- I was tossing you in the trash can when I was in high school. No. I was, I was, a, senior, I was a senior in high school when you were in the, in the fourth grade. That's true, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it gives me eight more years on this earth than you, though, at this point. So, Marty, what? I said it gives me eight more years on this earth now than you at this point. Hey, so I want to I want to ask you about Benjamin. So, yeah. how's your son doing? Yeah, he's he's doing how are well. You doing, how are you doing? How are you doing, Dad? I mean, he's doing well. It's uh, you know, me and him are very close, and uh, we spend a lot of time together. I, I mean that. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you adapting to uh, fa- uh, your fatherly life? Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, I've adapted a long time ago. Todd, I adapted a long time ago. So, uh, Marty, uh, if anyway. you, as I mentioned on the forum, if you are still uh-huh. in good standing on the forum and everything stays the same between now and uh, the World Series 2015, I will put together a uh, stake. I'm not going mar- to play the fucking senior You're event. You're not going to play the seniors event? Okay. Uh, no, no. I really appreciate the offer, but no thank you. I thought that would be something we'd all enjoy. <laughs> I'm only 50, asshole. No, but I, I'm going to play it. Look, when I make 50, I'm going to definitely play that thing. I will definitely play it. So uh, it's not it's not putting you down for being old because in uh, 2022, when I am 50, I am going to play that event. I guarantee you. Hey, listen, so I really want to uh, – I'd love to co-host with you uh, if you want to do a – I promise I'll be more sober. Yeah. Um, tonight I'm kind of uh, – um, off the deep end. Well, yeah, tonight we're ending uh, the show anyway, so. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. 
um, you know, this this uh, this tequila here in Mexico, it, seriously, like tw- you can buy a whole liter of tequila for fucking twenty five pesos, hmm. which is like a dollar ninety nine. I'm in I'm in trouble. You can buy someone a whole liter. Out of, if someone get me out of here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a complete alcoholic. I'm gonna uh, literally be uh, in rehab. Well, maybe it's not a good someone, place for you then. Pardon me. Maybe it's not a good place for you to be. No, it's cool. I'll, I'll make it. I can handle it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All uh, right. Anyway, uh, well, hey, uh, I will be sober. Uh, you know what? Go ahead. Ask, ask me another question. Ask uh, me another question. Are, are you playing on Poker Stars again now that you have internet? No. No, not yet. I haven't been on Poker Stars since I got to Ensenada. It took me fucking eight days to get uh, internet here. I was going crazy. I can only sleep so many hours a day. There's only so many uh, hours I can walk my fucking dog on the beach. Um, it is good to be back. Well, I'll tell you, Marty, this reminds me of something from a long time ago. And I know at this point you're probably banging beach bunnies, but uh, in 1990. 1990- no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm no, actually not. No, no, not right now. I'm saying what the story I'm going to tell you is from 1991. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, my car broke down in the city of Ventura. And. Uh huh. It was at night, and I had just slept all day. So okay. I had just woken up, and I, I was driving, and my car had a major breakdown. And it was at night, and I, and I went to a, a motel there, and I, I came to a realization that I was really, really bored. There was absolutely, positively nothing to do. I could not drive anywhere because I had no car. And I could not go to sleep because I had just been sleeping a whole lot of hours, and I was not anywhere near tired. So... Yeah, I went and ate something, and then I just had hours to kill, and there was nothing on TV. This crappy motel had no movies. I mean, it was the worst. It was, it was like I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just uh, going crazy, and it was the middle of the night. Nothing's open. Uh, nowhere I could walk to. It was like the outskirts of Ventura. It was awful. So maybe that's how you felt uh, without the Internet here for eight days. Man, it's really weird you told that story because when I got – when I got to when I got to Rosarito, um, I couldn't meet my agent until the uh, until two more days, and I literally slept in my car for two days. I pulled into the Rosarito Beach Hotel and I I parked on the upper level, and I crashed out in the back of my car. You know, you know sometimes it doesn't matter how much money you have. You know, I mean it's a I don't know it's hard to explain this, but. Um, <laughs> You know, you can you can pull into Rosa with a, a million bucks, and no one's going to lay out the red carpet for you. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Todd. It's really weird you uh, told that story because uh, I don't know, don't know how to put this into perspective. Yeah. You know, uh, there are not ten million people listening, but uh, you know, I mean, Todd, you're you're a you're a wealthy guy. You have a, you have a bunch of money, and. Uh, you know, sometimes you just need to look for something that's meaningful in life, okay? Right? Just meaningful. Something that matters. Yeah. Okay? You know, it, fuck, I feel like a fucking drunk idiot right now. But, you know, when I, when I worked as a uh, – I was a chief cook on the, on the Seawolf for four and a half months. And I got off the ship with 35 grand in cash. And I bought a Mustang in Philadelphia, and I drove it all the way across country. You know, I was fucking bored. I had all these hundos. Like, I stopped in. I stopped in Vegas on the way back, and I 
lost like a 1500, 2000, I don't even remember. And I got back to Sacramento and I was just bored. I still had, I had all this money like sitting there wasting and I was just bored. You yep. know, I mean, money money is one thing, but, you know, you have to have purpose in yeah. life. Well, you know, you have, that's, that's one good thing to say about purpose. the Internet. You know, the Internet, at least, uh, at least when you have the Internet, you can entertain yourself. Like back in 91, uh, um, I was actually on the Internet then, but there's no, like, portable device I can get on the if, Internet. So, like, if, if, the, if I may, if I may, if I may, uh, sorry to interrupt, but money is fucking overrated, okay? Money is overrated, I've had it before. I've had. I, I'm, I'm not a, a multimillionaire like yourself, sir, but I've had like big uh, fat stacks of hundos before. You know what? You're fucking overrated. You have to. Uh, people out there should be searching for a uh, 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 spiritual connection. That's what life's supposed to be about. It's not about fucking stupid ass money. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things. Money, you, there's a lot of money, things. Money is money is a necessary evil. It's it's a balance it's of life. You have to have, evil. It's a balance of a lot of things you have to have in life. It's and, uh, not the, it's not the end all. It's no, it's not. not. The end a, all. It's a balance of things you need. Anyway, we have to end the show here because uh, you asked about all Benjamin. All right. Well, anyway, Benjamin, uh, actually, anyway uh, uh, we're, we're going to get rid of Marty because he's too fucking drunk. No, I'm getting rid of the show because uh, <laughs> I have to go be with Benjamin right now. What? I'm, getting, I'm ending the show because uh, Benjamin apparently is not asleep yet, and I'm going to go be with him. All right, well, all right. Well, there you go. So, Marty, you will have a chance next week to uh, talk about this. Please oh, be sober. Well, and well, hey, man, hey, man, we'll, we'll have fun. We'll have fun. I hope so. It's, uh, it'll be a, a groundbreaking event here for Poker Fraud <laughs> Radio. Ground, a groundbreaking event. <laughs> okay, so Daredevil, are you still here? Yeah, I'm sure. You're still here, just kind of listening to this whole thing. So thank you, Daredevil, for coming on, and uh, we'll have Marty on next week. Thank you to the audience who patiently waited for me to show up. Hold on, I'm speaking here. 45 minutes late, and I appreciate those who waited, and uh, congratulations to Snow Tracks and Hockey Guy for winning the free roll, and uh, thank you to everybody who shot in money this week for the free roll, 155 bucks we had to give away. Marty, what do you want to say? <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead, Marty. Uh, you're old enough to remember what this song is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. See, uh, a lot of people who listen to this, they they don't know what this is. But uh, actually, we don't even have a young audience. The audience here, I'd say, average is probably early 40s, is my guess. I don't even know how, how old is Daredevil. I don't even know how old you are. 32. 32. 32. Okay, you're you're a youngster. But uh, sure. No, m- most of the audience here. Uh, is kind of close to my age. Marty's on the upper end, but we have people older. Than, we have people older than Marty too. Listen to the show, so it's a it's a wide range here. I, I'm glad to appeal to several generations. So anyway, I appreciate all our listeners, and make sure to register an account on PokerFraudAlert.com because you never know when the date will change for qualifying for free rolls or other things that are given away here. And, We'll be back on September 9th, just six short days from now at 6.30 p.m. or whenever I turn the damn thing on. We'll have Marty, and it'll be a great time. Good night, and shalom. Shalom.